This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right. Away back. Goal. Go hey! It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy in blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of A's Cast Live World Series Edition. As hard to believe it's Thursday, we've got Game 5 of the World Series. We will be going back to Houston. Can you turn me up? Just my headphones up a little bit. My headphones up. There you go. We will be going back to Houston for Game 5. And that will be Saturday. And, excuse me, for Game 6, we'll be going back to Houston. And... If we have a Game 7, it will be on Sunday. we got a great guest lineup for you today. Rob Friedman, the Pitching Ninja, is going to be here at 145. Scott Emerson, Emo, your pitching coach of the Oakland Athletics. Get his view of what's been going on because you know he's watching. That's going to be at 2.30. And then Zach Kreiser. It's Kreiser, right? We'll go, we'll go with that. Zach Kreiser has written a great story about Dave Dombrowski, the – I don't know exactly Dave's title. President of Baseball Operations? Yeah, he's the president of Baseball Ops. Sam Fold's the former A, he's the general manager. Yeah, yeah, and we will get into that because I know our friend Bob Nightingale is not the most popular guy in the A's fan base right now, but I will tell you this. Great article in Sports Weekly about Dave Dombrowski. That I have, I have not only read, I've highlighted, I'm ready to bring you the information. So Dave is a not a friend. But someone I have known for a long time. And his story dates back to the 70s. Yes, the 70s, where a lot of you weren't alive. You didn't exist. You were barely born. And I was born. <laughs> so, yeah, when people go, what's your favorite? My, my, my children have asked me, what's my favorite decade? It's not going to be the 70s. <laughs> it's just not. I'm sure people are having a good time. It sounded like they had a good time. But for me... Uh, I don't remember much of the 70s. I kind of, 70s for me is really like 79 is like the first time I can start recalling things about sports. A little 78, but really 79. That's why I would love to like be in a 
conversation. Like if we were like at the A's offices and we were talking about how do we promote things? How do we do things? How do we go forward? And I'd be like, you know, sometimes we like get into history and we forget our our younger audience. We kind of forget about them. And one of the reasons that we forget about them is that we just think everybody knows. And I can take you back to when I was a kid. Yeah, I remember Reggie Jackson a little bit as a Yankee. But for me as a kid, Reggie Jackson was an angel. He was a California angel. I remember him from when I was growing up. The Bronx was burning. Was a thing ESPN was like a documentary of the ESPN. You, was re- you remember? He was a Yankee. You remember Reggie Jackson as an angel in the movie The Naked Gun? Okay, fair. But he the, was going to kill the queen. The, <laughs> That's what you remember Reggie Jackson for. Uh, rest in peace to the queen. Now, yes. Uh, so we'll have Zach Kreiser coming up here on Dave Dabrowski and then CJ Nikowski. I didn't hear CJ. CJ had the day off. Oh, so don't, don't ask me. I don't have serious, so I can't listen. So CJ is one of our guys, former left-hander, Major League Baseball, and of course a television broadcaster for the Texas Rangers and is the host of Loud Outs on Sirius XM. He's the afternoon show, which he it's like a perfect fit for him. Because he can do his show, and then he's got the game at night with the Rangers. So, like, when they – was it this year that they played us and the Giants and they didn't leave San Francisco for a week? Was that this year? I believe – Let me. I'm trying to think of what, what the schedule was for – that sounds about right. I know in 2020 they played us because they played the, the AL West, but that would be a little different. Last It was the same thing last year, too, so they probably wouldn't have played. No, because our division uh, – Interleague this year was the NL East, so it would have been last year. Because he basically did the show from his hotel room in San Francisco. Would have been last year. And then he'd come to Oakland, and then he'd go to the ballpark when they played the Giants. And I was like, man, what a perfect fit. It's kind of like what we do, right? We do the we do a talk show, and then I do a pregame show. Then the game hits. It's like you're raring it. You know, it's one thing just to turn on the mic. Good evening and welcome to Comerica Park, where the athletics are taking on the Detroit Tigers here in the Motor City. I'm Chris Towns, a longtime eight-time All-Star, Cody Elias. You know, you get that's how they went. Hell, we're warmed up by game time. Yeah. I mean, if it was like golf, it's like we've played four or five holes. We're raring to go come game time. And so that's uh, great for CJ. So CJ is going to join us uh, coming up here at 3.30. So the Ninja at 145, Emo at 2.30, Kreisner at 3, and then CJ at 3.30. Of course, last night, Christian Javier shoved uh, the no-hitter, which is the third no-hitter in World Series history. I uh, I mean, the Ninja, by the way, did you see he has a Kono is his? Yeah, I thought it was the second no-hitter, third in postseason history. I don't know. Don I mean. Larson had the perfect game in the 1956 World Series. And then it was, what I the thought, was and then I thought it was, that was the second one. And then Roy Halladay had the no-hitter in, in the division series. Second or third? Either way, it was a no hit. Well, depending on who, who you talk to. Some people I, okay, Let we can get into that. Okay, where was it? Well, here, while you look for it, I, I do have the final. Here's the final call. Joe Davis, Fox. Don't get me. Night. I'm not excited. Ryan Presley, I'm final not excited. Here you go. Real Muto. Bouncing ball to third. Uh, 
Uh, that'll be their second one this year combined. Start First one was started by Christian Javier, seven innings, 13 strikeouts, and closed out by Ryan Presley. Are you going to say – I saw this in this. Are you going to say that Noah Syndergaard being here, he was a part of a no-hitter this year? Uh, hold on. I got another one for you. Aaron Nola is now the third pitcher to be part of multiple no-hitters in a single season. Can you name the other two? That he's what? He's only the third pitcher in Major League Baseball history to be part – that he started a game where his team got no-hit multiple times in the same season. Can I name the other thousands of pitchers no, that pitched? No, it only happened to two guys who pitched. And there's two been g- thousands of guys. Yeah, it only happened two other times. That so you came across this obscure note, and you're now acting like you're this. Where did you see this note? Sarah had it. Oh. Our good friend Sarah Langs. The answer is Zach Plesak three times last year started the game when the Guardians got no hit, and Jim Perry in 1973. Wait, were they no hit, or was it a co-no? Uh, let's see. No, they were no hit a few times last year. I don't know if, if all three of them were. Combined, but how many no hitters we have this year? Well, oh, was that last year? You saying last? Last year, year was police sack, nineteen seventy three. This year, Nola part of two combined no hitters. Remember the Mets com- combined no hit. And you wonder why our game like we had one no hitter this cares? year. Who cares? There was one real no hitter. It was when young Reed Detmers had a no hitter. Maybe the we should understand and learn from other sports that no one cares about this obscure crap. Like no one says. You realize last year in the NFL that this guy was a part of three games where there was three fumbles that were recovered against a team from the from the East. Nobody cares. It's still pretty crazy. It's only happened three times. Nobody cares. Do you think that was a no hitter? Um, I mean, technically, in the box score, it says zero hit. So, it's, remember, we had this debate last year. Or was it twenty twenty when Madison Bumgarner had the no hitter through seven? Had the no hitter seven. But innings. he was on the mound for all seven. But we called it not a no hitter. So, so where are we where are we where are we drawing the line? Well, this is different. This is multiple guys. Well, this is more than one. Yeah. Do we count as a great feat that a group of men? Because we've seen combined no hitters be like five guys. Yeah. Well, this is four. Do we see what is the most? Is it six or five? Got to be around there. Yeah. Somewhere. Remember when the uh, when the if the Angels had it? Remember when the Angels no hit um. Was it the Mariners? Whenever Tyler Skaggs passed away, they combined no hit the Mariners. There's a few guys then. The Mets used a bunch of guys this year when they when they combined no hit the Phillies. I don't know what the exact numbers on how many guys, but I do think it's a no hitter, especially in the in the World Series in a game where you gave up five home runs and got shelled the night before you come out come out and well pitch a no hitter against a team that, like I said, hit five home runs the night before. I mean, they barely hit any balls out of the out. But it doesn't. Infield. But but. In this case, just giving, not giving up a hit, not giving you, you, you pitched a shutout and you didn't give up a hit. The staff did. Yeah, you can look at it as more of a team. It's a staff thing. You can call it more a shutout where you So, like hits. a no hitter, the significance of a no hitter is that one man went out there, pitched against this entire team, got 27 outs, and didn't give up a hit. That's what a no hit, that's the basis of a no hitter. I forgot a no hitter this year. Remember the Reds no hit the Pirates and lost because they walked in a run. Yes, I do that, remember that. Was, that was combined. No, no one talked about that one. I the Reds no that. hit the Pirates and lost the game because they walked in a run. Andy Hawkins lost a no hit, had a no hitter for the Yankees. I remember seeing this somewhere. I think and it was lost to the White Sox. I want to say it was at Old Comiskey. Look that up. It would have been in the nineties sometime. 
But Andy Hawkins had a no-no and lost. Yeah, it was the White Sox. It was – Was that Yankee or It was or of the Yankees. Uh, and Greg Hibbert of the White Sox combined and retired the first 29 batters of the game. Yeah, ni- July 1st, 1990. 1990. Yeah. I, no- I would have been a year and a half old. He had a no-hitter and lost. Can you imagine that? I just threw a no-hitter. But, but back to this. Christian Javier was fantastic. We'll talk to the pitching ninja about it. Um, he's a great example of what you can do as a pitcher and not have great velocity. Even though 94 miles an hour, 93, 94 miles an hour. Let me tell you something, folks. If anybody tells you 94 miles an hour is not hard, all I would say to that is, okay, let's meet at the Coliseum. We'll get the pitching machine going. We'll allow you to line up in the cage. We'll set it at 94 miles an hour, and we'll point it right at your ribs, and we'll put the ball in, foof, and let you get hit in the ribs by 94. And then ask you as you're on the ground, withering in pain, and you're now going to have a bruise on your back, however you took it in the side, you're now going to have a bruise for two weeks. I want you to tell me whether that's hard or not. Oh, I, I know it is. I'm not going to sit here and say 94 not. is really hard. Let me tell you, I've been hit by 92. I got hit by Kyle Seabach, who played in the Mariners organization, and um, Palomino. Palomino was juniors and seniors, the best high school players in San Diego, got put on these Palomino teams. And I was a junior. Coming out of my, I was going to be a junior. Seabach was a senior. He played in the Mariners. He drilled me 92. It felt like I was going to die. I can't even imagine what 98's like. What about how do you think Jordan Alvarez feels after getting plunked when Jose Alvarado came in and hit him in the first pitch? Ugh. The walk and a run, he hit him 100 in like, I forget what he was in the I can't do 100? Do you was, know how hard that is? Uh, I would. I don't know if I – he walked right to first base. Dude, I'm he telling you scream. right now, let's say I was like an 88, around 88. If I hit you, I could go out right now – and put you out in front of my garage. I'm 50 years old, throw it as hard as I can, and I'd bruise you for a week. It hurts. So, point of the matter is, 94, though, since everybody sees velocity at a high rate these days, that doesn't seem that hard. But when you see that his glove goes up, and when you're a hitter, what you're seeing, you're seeing the glove, then he's come, he's not over the top, he's here, and that's where the pitching ninja, who, by the way, has gone mainstream on us, writing for Fox Sports now. Yeah. See, that's what happens. You get a little taste, and next thing you know, you're Hollywood. <laughs> next thing you know, he's not going to answer his phone. He's got a limo. He's got a private jet. Uh, we'll deal with the pitching ninja. Um, but he talks about how there is no such thing as rise. People who say there's rise that defies physics, gravity, that's not real. Reality is this, is that certain guys that can get spin on the ball, the ball stays higher longer. And it's not about your velocity. It's about the way the ball comes out of your hand and where it's coming out of your hand, right? So if you're somebody that comes from way up top, like you can't even see my hand if you're watching on Twitter or on YouTube, and you're like Verlander, who's 6'5", yeah, I think he's 6'5". I don't think he's 6'6", six, six, but he's like 6'5", or Glass now, who's what, 6'6"? Six, six? I mean, even Syndergaard, when he was throwing hard, he's a big dude too. Yeah, when you're that tall and you're releasing the ball and it comes down, you can keep that ball high in the zone. 
Javi, Christian Javier does it by being like almost a three-quarters guy, and he's got so much spin on it that it stays in the zone. So it doesn't really – kind of like what we talked a lot about with like Jesus Lazardo. Jesus Lazardo. problem with Jesus Lazardo, the way his mechanics were, he they just saw it. Guys see it. I used to talk about all the time, that plane, he was on like the same plane. Javier's kind of the same way, but the way he's doing it with his glove coming, and that's first thing you see as a hitter when you're up there hitting and Javier's coming down the mound, he's coming down the mound. The first thing you're seeing is that glove. Then here comes the ball. And actually the ball's coming from more of a slinger. He's coming from here. So deception and spin – and we're checking them, so I'm not going to accuse them of anything. I mean, we're checking the players. As long as we're checking the players, as long as Musgrove can be out there with shiny Dumbo ears, uh, we're all good. By the way, Verlander 6'5", Syndergaard 6'6", Glasnow 6'8". Glasnow 6'8"? Yeah. He's a big guy. He's a he's a shooting guard. Yeah. Slash small forward. Yeah, he's, yeah. Or he, I didn't realize he was that big. Or he could be, the, he could be a stretch four maybe, too. That's a little small for a stretch four. Uh, Draymond Green's a stretch four, and he's six six. Draymond Green is not a stretch four. He just shoots because they allow <laughs> it because he brings toughness and he rebounds. They really don't as, want him shooting. As you said, it's not his fault ever when he does miss. I, I just don't. But he's not. No. Kevin Durant is a stretch. Uh, <laughs> and he's six. As he says, he's six. Uh, he's six seven two. Yeah. Um, by the way, an article again today. It, it, I. For some reason, my phone is still set up like I'm a sports talk show host that I do all sports, so I get all the notifications. I got there's another article on ESPN Insider about whether Draymond's great or it's the system. Oh, I saw that popped up on my phone too. I was like, no, I'm not. I didn't read it. I'm not getting sucked in. Stop it. I don't care. But Javier was impressive, and he has been impressive. And I, and it just goes to show, James Click, you want to fire this guy? You really want to fire James Click? And what these Astros, I mean, if, if I'm Jim Crane and I've had the success that I've had with these international signings, I mean, who's Christian Javier? What, what did he even sign for? I want to say it was peanuts. A, I want to say they said ten thousand last night, but I th- uh, let me see. Peanuts. I thought it, I thought it was a hundred thousand. Sunflower seeds. What did he sign for? We paid. We paid. What's his name? Five point one million. Apparently, there's a new guy that we just signed uh, that's been going around on the internet. He's supposed to be pretty good, but but we'll see. Robert Poisson, five point one million. How much? How much was Christian Javier? Uh, the Astros decided to sign him for ten thousand ten thousand dollars a week before he turned eighteen. So I think it was like a hundred thousand dollars. Was his international deal? Wait a minute. Wait. How much? Ten thousand dollars. It was ten thousand dollars a week until he turned eighteen. So on the books, that's not really a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm a lot of these articles are behind a paywall, so I won't be able to open them. Oh God, that is that is that is that like the worst thing ever? The like. When you can't click on it, they send you an article like the San Jose Mercury News or the San Francisco Chronicle sends you an article and then you click on it. And they go, oh, you're out of uh, free free looks. You can't look at it anymore. But I got to tell you, hats off to the Houston Astros that you basically paid a guy nothing and he's going six scoreless with nine strikeouts in the World Series. 
I mean, it's 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 impressive. I mean, as much as I hate him, I think you really have to uh, you really got to applaud what the Astros do. And this is why they keep winning. And this is why whenever you see the let's rank the farm systems, we're going to rank the farm systems. You know what you do? Don't click on it. Don't click on it. Don't pay attention to it because it's garbage. Who is the person that told us that really it's only the top five and the bottom five that matter? Everybody else, the other 20 inside that, they're just guessing. We had Jim Callis on recently. Was it Jim Callis? Uh, by the way, Javier made six hundred twenty thousand last year. He made seven forty nine this year. Okay, the guy last night, if you watched the World Series, makes seven hundred and forty nine thousand. There's some incredible numbers on him too. Second half of the year, he's allowed a one fifty two opponents batting average. And how much is he making? Uh, seven hundred. What was it again? Seven hundred and. $49,000, according to Baseball Reference. Okay. He threw a fastball slider 98% of the time. This one, Tom Verducci threw out, and I kind of rounded it up because it was during an at-bat for the end, inning ended. Hitters in his last seven, 37 innings, he said 36 last night, but it was two outs, are 8 for 17 versus him. How much is he making? Or 8 for 117. 749000 749000 Only the second individual pitcher to have a no-hit bid of six-plus innings in a World Series game since... Jerry Kuzman in the 1969 World Series Game 2. How much is he making? 749000 according to baseball reference. So, are the Astros showing you in some ways? And some teams do it, right? They show you all this talk about payroll can be overrated. It I can. Think, I think they were ninth in payroll this year overall in baseball. It can. It can. It, it, all this talk about money and, you know, it can be overrated. It can. Verlander stinks in the World Series. He's making how much? Uh, $25 million this year, I believe. He's going tonight. He's 0-6 with a 6.07 ERA and eight career World Series starts. That's not a small sample size. I, I listened to Hembo earlier. Uh, Paul and McKitty is on with Buster Olney. Give you a couple things. 15 of the 19 hits that Verlander's given up this year, have gone glove side, so literally he's not missing many bats. That was interesting. Uh, 54 pitches have made uh, five inning, have made at least five World Series starts in their career. Nobody has a higher ERA than Justin Verlander, and he's never walked off the mound with a lead in any of his World Series starts. And that's eight. That's eight career, po- eight career yeah. World Series starts. He's never walked off without a lead. This is this is the one thing that. We can get into because we got a ton of pitchers on today. Well, we got three. We got uh, the Ninja, Emo, and we got CJ. Verlander, like when we face Verlander, I know going into the pre, we talk a lot about obviously the fastball, but his breaking balls have just been amazing, right? Ever since he left Detroit, he's reestablished, retooled, re-whatever you want to call it, his slider. Because in Detroit, you got a high-dose fastball, curveball changeup when you face a Justin Verlander, right? That was Verlander at his peak, at his prime. He had, like, the Nolan Ryan curveball changeup combo. Remember that? The big 12-6, then the changeup. It was like a Bugs Bunny change. He had all that. He goes to Houston, and whatever they did with him, whatever magic that they have – when they change players, sorry, 
I'll eventually change that. Can't you just put it on buzzer? I, I said I'll eventually change. I always forget. I've been pretty good about not letting it go off. So. Verlander goes to Houston and they change Can, can I get yeah. back to Verlander, not yeah. your yeah. alarm? <laughs> Verlander, his curveball and breaking balls this year, they're unhittable. Opponents batted 179 with just 14 extra base hits. That's a two two sixty three slug. Two sixty three. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. He threw his he, in the regular season. He threw a slider twenty eight percent of the time. His his curveball nineteen percent of the time. The Astros are real big on spin rate. That's why they loved Ryan Presley when they traded for him. Their closer. They loved his curveball and his spin rate. They put the. I don't know if you saw like what they've been doing on the World Series. But when uh, they go back to the camera angle where the pitcher is getting ready to throw, they have the spin rates there. Yeah. Their average spin rate is like 2,888 2, revolutions per minute. And then the Phillies is like 24. Like the Astros really love spin rate. But here's the problem. That's the regular season. Yeah, in the postseason. It's not really working out. You didn't out. ask me about the postseason. It's not really working out for old Justin in the postseason. Uh, postseason, he is allowed 12 runs, 19 hits, and 15 postseason innings. Opponents are batting 306, five extra base hits. I mean, the guy in the regular season hasn't showed up in this spot. I mean, really everything before is irrelevant. As much as we delve into numbers and whatever, what Justin Verlander did as a man 15 years ago, 10 years ago, doesn't matter today. Doesn't matter. Just does not matter. What matters is who he is today. He's a completely different person. He's a different pitcher. So comparing what he did against the Giants, was that in 12? Uh, yeah. So that's 10 years ago. Yeah. He was Would you want to compare? Like, like he was to, 29 then. <laughs> to think how ridiculous that is that people bring up. And I know we bring up these stats, but some of these are just, they're, they're irrelevant, right? Like, for example, if I said, let's compare Cody from 10 years ago when you were, what, 24? 24. Wow, good, great. Yeah, 24. Are you the same person? Uh, no, I wasn't even married the first time then. Would it be ridiculous to compare you, your skills, who you are, mentally, physically, everything about you then to now? Um, not at all. I mean, I would. So I, why would we do it with an athlete then? Yeah. Like he's different? Like like Verlander has it. Let me tell you something. In your 30s, your body changes. Men, women, doesn't matter. Your body, you get, you're unbeatable. You're undefeated, right, in your 20s. You can do anything to your body, you're ready to rock. You get into your 30s, things start to change. Why would I compare Justin Verlander at 39 to 29? It's an unfair, That's dumb. It's an un, unfair comparison. I think the only, guy, the only two guys you can do that to right now are LeBron James and Tom Brady because they are literally beating father time. But I would not compare yeah. them – their actual skill set, and go, well, you know what he did with the Patriots in 07? I'd be ridiculous. Uh, they were 19-1 that year. I mean, what, 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 would I really compare LeBron James 20 years ago? Wow, as a rookie, wow. You're really going back to LeBron. I'm like, why would you do that? That's dumb. Yeah, and like th I brought this up. Because this is when after Verlander had that bad start against the Mariners and the uh, ALDS. David Feldman, our historian, put up, Verlander in his career versus the A's. In the postseason, five starts, 4-0, 124 ERA, no runs allowed in his last 30 innings. Versus all others, this is prior after that start against the Mariners. 
26 starts, 10 and 11, a 417 ERA. So Verlander's numbers are inflated, are good because he pitches well against the A's. Everyone else, not so good. Well, he's pitched well against the Yankees. Uh, yeah, that well, that was before we saw the start against the Yankees. Yeah, yeah, he's so in, in Verlander's career, and you can only face who you face, and he's faced the A's and the Yankees a lot in the postseason. So against the A's and Yankees, really good. Against everybody else, not so good. Why was Christian Javier so good? Why has this guy who developed this really cool following on Twitter gone mainstream? The Pitching Ninja. Rod Friedman will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Oakland Athletics begin spring training on February 25th. Now's the time to make plans to catch us in Mesa, Arizona, and enjoy the sunshine of your family and friends. Buy your tickets early for the best seats at the lowest prices as your green and gold take on the Giants, Dodgers, Padres, Angels, and more at Ho Cam Stadium. And Tony, it's a deep drive to right in the corner. Gritchick going back. He'll turn and watch it fly. Get your tickets at athletics.com slash spring. That's athletics.com slash spring. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. You know, it is pretty amazing that all you have to do to know exactly what's going on, baseball savant does a really good job of telling you exactly what's happening in a game. So instead of waiting for MLB Network or Fox or whoever, you can follow, go to Baseball Savant. You can follow the game. You can follow every pitch. I mean, they're going to tell you. I can tell you, like, right now, Christian Javier's four-seam fastball averaged last night 93.4 points. Is that me being some magician that I was charting every pitch and then I factored that all together? No. I just... I can tell you he threw 25 sliders. He threw two knuckle curves. <laughs> I mean, they'll give you your vertical break, your horizontal break. They'll give you the spin. He's got tremendous spin on his fastball. So you're telling me he did the exact opposite of what Lance McCullers Jr. did the night prior? He threw fastballs? Yeah. I mean, it, and it's so interesting. That's actually a good point is, like, a lot of people, there's different ways to get her done. Right? Lance McCullers is afraid of his – Lance McCullers throws the exact same speed almost that Christian Javier does. And that's where science and data has been great for the game. Because 
if I just sat there with a with a jugs gun, and I'm just a scout, and I'm like, oh, McCullerso's 94. Oh, Christian Abierto's 94. But their 94s aren't equal. They're different. A lot's different. How they pitch, where they release it from, how does the hitter see it, the spins, you know, everything's different. And the same fastball for McCullers is way hittable compared to the same fastball for Javier, which is practically unhittable. But yet, miles per hour, they're the exact same. Gets back to as much as the data wants to tell you all this different stuff and we can look at the data, the most important thing is what does the hitter see? Can't see what you can't hit. And that is the biggest change that what we're finding out is what what keeps hitters disrupt hitting hurt you know beating hitting is is distru- is disrupting rhythm and timing as Scott Emerson will tell you at 2:30 <laughs> over and over and over again right we need to disrupt the rhythm and timing of the hitter that's what the pitcher's job is we want to believe everything is about just throwing it by the hitter and he can't hit it but a lot of that still is disrupting the hitting, is disrupting the rhythm and the timing of the hitter. And the and, and what we find out with numbers is 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 they find out what you're good at, right? Getting back to Verlander, they were able to bring Verlander in in Houston and go, you know what? Less curveball, more slider, and this is why. And Verlander had to buy into it. I remember the same thing happened with Garrett Cole. I don't remember what pitches it was, but the guy that came from Pittsburgh was not the same guy after a couple months in Houston, and they turned him into a guy that ended up getting 300-plus million from the Yankees. That, actually, you know what? Garrett Cole should be actually be giving part of that contract to the Houston Astros. Yeah, Because he was not. In Pittsburgh, he was just a blow-you-away kind of guy. He But he wasn't a big strikeout guy in Pittsburgh, though. He was more of a – the Pirates' the pirate's pitching philosophy under Ray Sears when he was there with Clint. Well, Herbal that's was, not. But you got You got to be right on this. He wasn't a big strikeout. He was a velocity guy. Yeah. He was a. As I said, he was a try and blow you away guy. They refine him, make him better. They make his secondary stuff better, which then makes his fastball better. And that's the Garrett Cole you saw at the end of the run with the Astros, and who you see now with the New York Yankees. But that, whatever the Astros saw in Cole. God, who told me that story? I think it was Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart told me a story while we were working together, A's pre- and post-game live on NBC. Yep, this is a good one. Chris Carter. Chris Carter's a D-back. And Dave Stewart's the general manager of the D-backs. He wants to get rid of Chris Carter. And I, I don't want to say I'm speaking for Dave, but Dave, this was just, this was, this. Dave's told me a lot of stuff, stuff that I can't say, right? This was one he didn't say I couldn't say. Who cares? It's Chris Carter. Remember the Chris Carter that everybody said was going to be the next great? He was Mark McGuire. He's reincarnated Mark McGuire. I think he's not playing in Mexico. Oh, I know. He's the next Mark McGuire for the A's. Got to get him up. Sacramento. I, I took many phone calls. Townsend, this guy, he and Michael Taylor are the next two great Oakland Athletics. You just watch. Where were you in, like, 2009, 2010 
when every caller wanted to talk about Carter and Taylor. I was a sophomore going to be a junior in college. Yeah, where were all of you in the postgame show when Chris Carter and Michael Taylor were the next great A's? That's the next Canseco McGuire that right was, there. That was right after the two mats, right? The other mats. That no, the two mats were fun. <laughs> Matt, what were they? Matt. The Matt, one guy that ran into the wall. and Matt Carson ran into the wall playing center. The other Matt was who? Edwards something. 2009. Let's look at it. it was, no, it wasn't 2008. It would have been 2000, probably 11 or 12. Well, I thought it was prior to that. No. The mats were at Matt, – the mats were uh, – I'm telling you right now, it's not 2008. I don't know why I keep thinking he ran into the wall in 08. Okay. No, no, no. God, no. He was probably in college at the time or just in the minor leagues. It's uh, – I'd go 11, 12. Okay, so 11, I don't see any match. The great Connor Jackson out of Cal. Does everybody – he had that um, – what was the fever, the uh, valley fever we'd never heard of? Where you get spores into your nose. Matt Carson, this is 2010. Matt Carson and I don't see another Matt on here. Matt Watson. Matt Watson. <laughs> Matt he, was, Carson, he was 31 years old. Matt Carson and Matt what the two Matts. Does everybody remember those post game shows? Matt Carson. Car- he was 31 and Carlson Carson was 28. Matt Carson did go on to play for the Dodgers. He did have a run other than the A's. Six career home runs. He played. He didn't even play in a game for the Dodgers. Oh, it was Minnesota and Cleveland. <laughs> he moved on. He hit 177 for the A's. I swore and, and he played for the Dodgers. 2010, he hit 177, four homers, nine runs driven in. Okay. At age 28. Back to the story. <laughs> so Chris Carter. Chris Carter. So the Astros called Dave Stewart, and they want to make a trade. This would have been the Jeffrey Lunau. And I, and I'm, I. I'm assuming that they still operate kind of the same. Well, long story short, because we're going to – oh, well, the pitching ninja coming up. Um, The Astros said, listen, we want Chris Carter only if he agrees to change. So they gave Dave the parameters of what they wanted him to change. Didn't say why, didn't go into that, but they just said he's got to agree to be open to making – changes whatever these changes were if not Astros don't want him so Dave had to relay through the coaches and Chris Carter agreed that he would be willing to try and Chris Carter got traded to the Houston Astros and what did he play there two three years three years with Houston three years he had uh 90 home runs with the Astros 218 batting when so would he have been in the minor league system for the uh, D-backs at the time when they traded him? Let's uh, let's see. He was originally – he deb- debuted in 2010 for the A's. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll actually have to go to his um, – let me go pull up his minor league stats. His best year was what the was actually with Milwaukee when he hit 41 home runs. And then uh, couldn't get a job. Then he played for the Yankees for a little bit, and that was it. Um, he was playing in – well, Stockton wasn't part of the A's back then. Um, I'll let me go to. I'll pull. I'll find it. Anyway, that's what Houston does. So they brought in Garrett Cole. They brought in Justin Verlander. They see things, and that's kind of the genius of. He was traded to the. He was traded to the. uh, The White Sox traded him to Arizona for Carlos Quinton in 2007. So Stu hadn't even been there. Huh. So maybe Stu just knows him, because Luno took over the the Astros in 2000. 
12 after he left the Cardinals, I want to say, something around there? Because he was part of the three years of tanking. It's been a few years, so I I, uh, I can't remember exactly. All I know is that the Astros, the Astros traded for him, correct? Um, yeah, actually, he took over December. Yeah, so 2012 when Luna's first year. Yeah, let me see. I'll find. Was Luna there when he was when Carter was traded? I'm gonna look. Yes, because Carter was traded after the 2012 season, so that would have been Luna's after Luna's first year. Okay, so when Astros traded for him for Brad oh, Peacock and Max did, Stassi, and you know what? You know what? He could have been representing him. Oh, okay, yeah, Carter was traded with Brad Peacock and Max Stassi to the Astros for Jed Lowry and Fernando Rodriguez. That so I, I always forget about Stu as the agent. So I, I get. Did Stu represent him? Is that what it? This is not good. Good programming, by the way. Just watching you type and research is not the design effort. Yeah, it looks like he was. Okay, so that's what it is. So Stu was his representative. So it was Astros contacted Stu. Stu's the agent. Stu went to Carter. Carter said yes. Stu went back to would have been the A's. And said, make the deal. Yes, it was the ace. Yes. That's what it is. All right. So uh, our, our good friends here, too, just so you know. Well, you know, I I got to tell you, we sit here and, you know, the one thing that we loved was here we were, this friendship with, with, with somebody that was doing some incredible things, the merch. I mean, he had the identity. I mean, the pitching ninja was like the coolest thing. We love to have him on the show. We wear the shirts. He was this new, fresh thing. I didn't know he'd go Hollywood. I didn't know that he'd go mainstream and that he would sell out on, on his fans to become. He's dry, I mean, he's like Ric Flair. It's limo, limos and Lear Jets and Fox Sports. He's like he's like A-Rod now, probably going to be wearing a mink coat when he's on. He's writing, but. Uh, congratulations. I mean, you went from being the coolest guy ever to now you are mainstream media. How does it feel? Dude, I feel overexposed when you put it that <laughs> way. My God. <laughs> I have no idea how this even happened. This I mean, foxsports.com? I mean, you are, I mean, you went from the coolest thing on Twitter to being like, I mean, you're no different than like Tom Verducci now. I know. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Like, I still feel the same. Like, I am still... I'm still sympathetic to the little guy. Like I am the little guy, by God. That's what I will never change. That's what Britney Spears said. She said she'd never change, <laughs> and look what happened. They yeah, always point. say they're never going to change. You're not going to answer our phone calls. You're not going to know anybody. Next thing you know, you're going to be doing NFL, and the whole thing will be different. That's true. It's QB Ninja. What can I do there? Like, I actually, we, we got this. You're going to be on like the Fox pregame going, Tom Brady's got to retire. He's got to go. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at Look the velocity at of the ball. My <laughs> God. Uh, great piece, though. Loved it. Uh, Christian Javier, it's so interesting. We were just talking about it, and it's so perfect to have you on, is you can have two different guys in two different nights, right? You can have Lance McCullers, who throws 94, and you can have Christian Javier throw 94. One guy doesn't scare anybody, and he's even scared of his fastball against left-handers. And the same guy throwing the same velocity is shoving it down their throats. Isn't it amazing? Velocity of the same. Obviously, mechanics, how hitters see it is all different. 
But two different guys, same velocity, two different outcomes. Oh, absolutely. Lance is a big, you know, off-speed stuff guy, and and Javier is huge on his fastball. What did he throw? 72% yeah. fastballs yesterday. And shoved, and, you know, he doesn't throw particularly hard. You're exactly right. It's it's all about attack angles and how your spin is is helping your fastball move. And some of it is just funk in your delivery, too. All that combines to make a pitcher nasty. Yeah, the one thing that I think about Javier, and actually Smoltz got a little bit into it. They don't allow him to get too much into stuff. I wish they would because it it'd make the, the, the broadcast more interesting. We're normally, as pitchers, you're seeing guys that are here and then come here. But when you bring your glove out here, that's the first thing that a hitter is going to see. When the guy's coming down the mound, the glove is the first thing you see. And then normally a guy comes from up top, but that's not where Javier comes from. He's more, I wouldn't say a slinger, but he's kind of that three quarters. You talk about it in the article. That's got to be tough. Glove here, ball coming here, far different than a traditional way up here. So the key to pitching is do the hitters see you or not? And I think that's a big thing. Hitters just don't see this guy. I totally agree with you. And I think we get so focused sometimes on either spin rate or velocity or whatever it is, things that we can measure. The things we can't measure a lot of times are this is this deception. Like, is there funk in your mechanics that a hitter just can't pick it up? That is absolutely valuable. And we are starting to see people being judged by their arm slot and how the ball pitch actually carries and stuff out of it. But you're right. Like if, if your glove is hiding it somehow, if a look at Nestor, like Nestor Cortez has all these different arm slots, all this different funk that hitters just aren't used to. And because they're not used to it, it throws people off. So absolutely. And I think that, again, we get too because we have the analytics, we get married to them. And I don't, I mean, I'm obviously not anti-analytics. I'm pro-analytics, but yeah. it's not the be-all and end-all of anything. There's a ton of stuff, even mental game stuff. You saw him meditating in the middle of the game. I think that's important as well. Oh, I could tell you, routine, routine, routine. As someone who pitched a little bit in college, and then now I'm really trying to take my golf game to the next level. I've been reading these books about sports psychology, and the number one thing that you see in all sports is routine. You take guys out of their road routine, they struggle. Hitters have routines, pitchers have routines, golfers, football players. I worked in the NFL for years. Pre-game routine for NFL teams is so key. And you talk about that, the mental side for pitching. And, you know, it, it, when you're pitching in the World Series, it's so different because you now know that everybody's got a quick hook. It's just not your manager. It's not your pitching coach. I mean, it's the broadcasters. It's the media. It's a, I mean, you give up one hit and everybody's like, is the bullpen getting up? I mean, as a starting pitcher, you've got to know you don't have a long leash out there. That's a change in your routine. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you saw what happened to Nola yesterday. Get loads the bases. He was dealing, and then all of a sudden he's gone. And, you know, granted, they put in Alvarado, who is a filthy, filthy dude. And you saw what happened, but I, you know, Alvarado's great. I'm, you know, but it's it's one of those things that as a pitcher, it's a whole different environment. Not only that, but just think you have the smartest people in the world trying to pick apart your delivery, looking for tips, looking for little things they can pick up, tendencies, little things they can pick up on. And they have cameras everywhere. You have cameras in the stadium. It's and they have time to focus on in the regular season, you really don't because you're on to the next game, the next game, the next game. 
this is all about, you know, preparation and how hitters prepare for an individual pitcher. And things may get exposed that weren't exposed in a regular season. You know, when you're breaking down pitches, everybody wants to focus on what the ball does when it leaves the hand, right? Tunneling, what does it look like? The fastball, two-seamer, four-seamer, you know, split, slider, whatever. But a lot of what happens from the ball leaving the hand is what it what you do mechanically before the ball leaves the hand. How much do you focus on that? And that gets back to Javier where the glove comes up and a lot of things like that. I try to focus on everything. I think when you simplify pitching too much, people, I think it's unfair. I think it's unfair to the pitcher. It's unfair to the game. And it's unfair to fans. Like, I think that everybody should try to understand as much as they can what hitters have to deal with, what pitchers have to deal with, and what makes folks successful. So I focus on all of that. Like, you know, the other day, just trying to pick up if someone's tipping pitches or not. There's so many different things. And we only, we're limited in views to their broadcast view. There are other views that may tell you more when, you know, a pitcher's focusing on home plate. You may see, I think I tweeted that Randy Johnson article where he was fanning his glove when he was throwing his slider and then scrunching it when he was throwing his fastball because he's like muscling up. These are things that you maybe can't see from the center field view that you can see from the home plate view. So, you know, all this stuff matters. Everything matters. And this sport is really, really tough. Um, so that's what I try to show. You know, everybody loves the tunneling and the overlay videos, but there's way more to baseball and way more to pitching than just that. Here's my answer to tipping pitches. All right, you ready? The number one tipper of pitches in the history of baseball is the only guy that got every vote to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Mariano Rivera told everybody, I got one pitch, this is what I'm throwing, and I'm throwing it every single pitch. So when he would come together and put his hand into his glove, however he'd move it, it was the same every time because you knew a cutter was coming. Oh, totally. There, there, he didn't throw anything else. You go, you go through, like you could go through a full season. He randomly would throw a straight fastball. He threw cutter almost a hundred percent of the time. If that's not tipping pitches, I don't know what is. He actually said he he might as well have told you a cutter was coming because that was what's going to happen. He did everything but that, and still ended up being the greatest reliever, of, greatest closer of all time. Um, yeah, that's a whole different animal. And, you know, Randy Johnson, I'm sure, I'm sure Eduardo Perez wasn't the only one to pick up on him tipping pitches. When you throw 99, hundred miles an hour with a wicked slider and you're six foot 10, it's going to leave a mark. Like you can tell me it's coming. Doesn't really matter. Oh yeah. Cause not only get back to the camera, Randy's coming down the mound at six. So I don't even know if we actually got the tape measure out by the time his right foot plants Remember, he's coming from the side. Yeah. Like, you can't even see my hand in the camera angle here. He's coming from the side. By the time he releases the ball, how close was he to home plate? Was it six? <laughs> was it 60 feet, six inches? I don't – like, he he would absolutely scare the living I, – I can't even imagine being a left-handed hitter hitting against that. Or a right – like, I can't even manage getting a box against that dude. Just snarling – with that weird release, like you don't see every day and just, and slinging it. Um, yeah, that's a whole different beast. And he could have absolutely glove signed his pitches and it wouldn't have mattered. Have you broke down any of Ver- Verlander lately? I, well, I mean, I've looked at him. He just, I mean, he, he's obviously not as sharp as he was at points during the season. 
Um, I'm hoping he bounces back today. I, I, you know, I love watching him pitch. I love watching guys like him. You know, he's 90 something years old and still throwing like touching 99 every yeah. once in a while. It's always fun. Like I, you know, he's, he's a legend and I want to see him go out big, but he clearly isn't as sharp as he had been at points. I'm looking, I'm looking from the fix it. I couldn't tell if there's anything particular other than just missing his spots. It's just hard to tell. Yeah, because I, I just looking at the numbers, just easy numbers like curveball and slider this postseason, batting average against it way up, extra base hits way up versus the regular season. So something's going on that hitters are seeing something that's different from the regular season, and that's what I was just wondering because, yeah, it is kind of tough because you look at the numbers and it's it's shocking to think how hittable he's been Different decades of Verlander. I mean, we're going to go back to Verlander in his prime as a young man, now to 39, just in the World Series, major struggles. Yeah, and and I don't know if it's a matter of hitters preparing better against him, him not being as sharp. It could be a variety of things. As we mentioned, pitching is so complicated and the game is so complicated. Little things might be a big difference. Um, with him, it's really hard to tell, but I may go back and compare – what he's looking like now, just like a simple overlay or just yeah. breaking down different parts of his mechanics to see if it's anything mechanical. I'm sure the Astros have done that as well. Like there is, you know, they're, they're as good as anybody at picking this stuff apart. And oh, by the way, the hitters get paid too. Sometimes yeah, you got to give them credit too. Totally. Like, I think we forget this part. Like you could throw the best pitch and it, and it may get absolutely crushed. Um, or you can throw a bad pitch and a hitter, you can throw a backup slider hitter, you know, or a hanging curveball, and a hitter swings and misses because it, it just threw their timing off. So there's so much more to getting a hitter out or they just miss it. I mean, you, you know, you think about golf, you just miss it. The ball's in the trees. Same thing with, you know, with, with baseball, you just miss it. The ball's a pop up or a ground out versus a home run. So it's a it's a tough sport, and it's so it's dependent on so many different things. You're right. Your club face is just a little open, a little closed. Uh, quarterback throws it just a little high. It hits off the fingertips, and the DB intercepts it below. The field goal is just missed. I mean, everything, It's it, it, the precision in professional sports and the lack thereof, man, I mean, the greatness versus when it doesn't work out, it's such a small – I mean, McCullers – he was hanging everything. You just you look at the box. All those balls were right in hit me range. And you put in the article how so many hitters, they don't have major uppercuts, but they've got a little up. And if you throw down in the middle of the zone, righty, lefty, you name it, that's the happy zone. That's where these guys are going to put their numbers on the back, as Cody likes to say, the baseball card. Oh, absolutely. Like there's so many different things. It could be, you know, you could be tipping your pitches and hanging pitches at the same yeah. time. Does it matter? <laughs> like, if you're hanging right. pitches, does it matter? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's totally true. Although I did run a stat. This is interesting. Of pitches, I believe it was 101.7 miles an hour or above in the last like three years. Middle, middle hitters have zero hits against that. And there is not an, you know, there, it's not just ones or twos. There's a number of those pitches. So that's weird where you hear hitters can time a bullet, but yet like, like that's when you're getting around 102, you can do anything with that pitch and, you know, throw it located almost anywhere. And you're going to get, you're going to be pretty successful on that. Yeah. People just understand, you know, you, you try and it's hard to explain. And that's where 
our game, I think, goes next is neuroscience. This is the brain. This is your eyes. Your eye, your your brain sees it through your eyes. Your brain's in got to tell you what it is. Should I swing? Should I not? And the harder it's being thrown, the very less milliseconds or whatever they call it, you have to make that decision. And that's the thing. And if 88 versus 100 to 102, you just think your brain doesn't. So as much as we talk about, look how big he is, look how strong he is, look how thick, it really is what is your eyes and your brain, how fast they picking up and how fast they can tell you swing or not. I, I could not agree more. Actually, in the offseason last year, I was I was talking to a number of really smart folks saying we need to come up with some kind of number or some kind of measure of deception. Like we talked about Javier. We need to have like we can we can do this because we can say, hey, all these pitches are around the same profile, but this guy doesn't get hit. What is it about him that makes him not get hit? And then go into the neuroscience of it, like when the hitter actually picks it up see when they make the decision you can do all this stuff it's just now we're focused on the number we're focused on what we can measure and the problem with that is the things that you can't measure get overlooked when you do that so people are just focusing on numbers and if you can't put a number on deception then it, it gets overlooked all right we I, I i have a brilliant idea and i think you this is going to be i have the best idea for you today we will do that in a minute. I just thought about this, and I think you're going to love it. You're going to go, those A's cast guys are brilliant, and it's it's for you. But uh, let's get to you come up with, obviously, the great nickname. Now you've come up with Kono. I thought that was funny. Um, where are you on that? I, Cody, Cody, well, Cody, do you think a no-hitter thrown by multiple, pitches is a, multiple pitchers is a big deal? I do, yeah, especially okay. in the World Series. I don't. I think if one guy does it, it's cool. If multiple, if, if one, I think it's great. If multiple guy, multiple guys do it, I see it as a shutout, and it just happens they didn't give up a hit. <laughs> I get it. It's not. It's not nearly as legendary as a one pitch. Like everybody wants to be that guy. Now, if you're talking about it as a team sport, and they view like I know when the Mets threw one, it was a big deal. They were sitting there going like, "Hey, this is a team, you know, a team thing." I think the Astros took that as well. Like they feed off each other. The depth of their pitching staff was shown. You know, you can you can make it whatever you want it to be. I like giving it a name. I think if, if you put a name to it, like I said, if you put numbers to it, everybody likes it. If you put a yes. name to it, now you got something. That's why I came up with it um, in the preseason. And it happened to be that that it happened a couple of times this year, which was a good deal. Like I get to break out that name. Now we're selling T-shirts. I mean, right. you're giving people a reason to really enjoy. I I, I agree with you. A no-hitter, but you say combined no-hitter, that's like, wah, wah. Yeah. You say Kono, it's a Kono. Now we got, I think, hey, baseball, you might have something going on, baseball reference. Exactly. They should put that in there, shouldn't they? Like, you participate in the Kono, like some kind of stat in there. Good idea. There you go. All right. I, I, I just I came up with this because I wore one of your hats to so my kids are, are cheerleaders and I was at the high school football game and I was wearing your hat and there's something about your logo that made multiple people ask me about the hat because they had no idea what it was. They just thought it was a cool hat. They're like, what is that? And so I explained to them who you are, the pitching ninja. So 
My idea is everybody right now, it's the time of year. It's early November. You're thinking, oh, I got to get somebody something for Christmas, right? And you do not want to wait. You do not want to have this take forever. But you want to always get something that's cool that people will be like, oh, that's awesome. So when I start thinking about all your merch and all the cool stuff, I'm looking at the hat you have on is awesome. Is that a certain team? No, I just, I like the color combo. So I figured I'd go with it. Look at the shirt for A's fans. We, I'm, good looking ta- shirt. I'm telling you, if you know somebody who is a baseball fan or somebody who's a hat head guy or likes cool t-shirts, your merchandise is perfect for Christmas. Absolutely I, perfect. I, I couldn't agree more with that. Like that is, see, I can't be that overexposed if guys are walking up to you saying, I don't know what that hat is. So I need to get out more, right? No, it's perfect because it's <laughs> you, you're at that point to where you're about to be the total rock star, but this is the process getting you to the rock star. Like think about if someone's a baseball fan, how cool would it be if you got this in your stocking? And this mug, as you've said, hey, you can put wine, you can put beer, you can put Gatorade, you can put coffee. It's perfect for all liquid. I think about the shirts. I think about the hats. I think we need to get you out there, get your website out there, get people ordering now so to make sure you get it in time for Christmas. I think Pitching Ninja Gear, ultimate Christmas gift. Dude, I need you on my commercial. Like, this is this is fantastic. But yeah, if you just go to pitchingninja.com, you can find all the greatest stuff. Um, but yeah, like I, I agree with you. I think those mugs are outstanding. I I'm a big fan of them and I have some on the site. Um, you can fill that up with bourbon and be really real. We'd be lit. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm not saying, I'm right? just saying, but I mean, coffee, I mean, it's, I mean, I, right now I got blue Gatorade in here. So, uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, Pitching Ninja gear for Christmas, everybody will love it because what you did with the logo and what you're now becoming, I think it's just, I think everybody would love it because I know when I wear the Pitching Ninja hat, I always get comments on it. Well, I am absolutely tweeting this out the second I get a hand on this because everybody needs to see this. Like you are the best spokesman for Pitching Ninja stuff. I just wear it. Like I just, I don't know. I'm just not, I, I I need to create like a commercial. You are the commercial for me. This is fantastic. I told you this was going to be the best thing for you today. <laughs> You're right. I thought it was like some kind of stat or something. No. This is way better than that. See, people don't understand A's cast. We do a lot of bit. We, you know, we have to talk a lot of business. We're trying to get it. We got to talk politics. We got to talk business. We're trying to get a new ballpark. You just can't sit here and bore the masses on, hey, you realize that, the slider for Verlander, the slug this postseason. I mean, at some point, people drown that out. You got to – what what affects people? Well, I know people always are looking to buy for Christmas. They're always looking for something unique and cool. You know who's unique and cool? You, my friend. Wow. That is like the best compliment. I'm going to play this for my wife, too, because she doesn't that really – That so. won't work. I, I hate to tell you that <laughs> won't work. People tell me I'm cool all the time. My wife goes, I'm not buying it. Yeah, exactly. I just, uh, I, I show her my baseball card. I got a baseball card. Like how sick was that? I had like a little tops baseball card that they made, um, for me. And I thought that was going to give me cool points, but no, nah, it didn't work with it. Now, what about a bobblehead? Ooh, I would love a bobblehead. You know That'd what you do? Sick. You t- you take the, the head of the bobblehead is the, is 
the baseball with the ninja mask. And oh, have, absolutely. And have a body. Yeah. I t- well, we know somebody makes bobbleheads. Maybe that. Can we? I don't know how long. How long? It, he told us how long it takes. How long does it take? Um, oh, no, I forget. Because we got some. The it other would day. just be generic mold. We're not doing a special yeah. body. He's just got to make the head. And boom, we can mass produce I'm it. Sure, I'm sure we can find out. We know. Who, I know the guy. We can yeah. ask. You know what? We can do a joint A's cast one. Do an A's colored one with a ninja head on it, and uh, I'll split it. Uh, are you coming out to the winter meetings in San Diego? You know, I've debated about it. I don't know. Like, I am trying to get. I I do a lot every day, and I'm trying to get some breathing room between me and baseball for a little bit. Yeah. But I might do that. San Diego's great. Well, we'll take you to dinner. We'll have it. We're going to be there. We'll have our set there, and that's December fifth, sixth, and seventh. Correct. You, you you show up. I'm going to sell some merch. Oh. I'll sell you some merch. I might just send you some, and you'll just be hawking it out there like you're way hey, better than I'm I telling you right now. I could be putting up ninja stuff all over our studio that people are going to see. I mean, hey, I'll take, I'll help you we out. We need this banner back here too, right? I'll help. It's cool, man. It's. I mean, that's. <laughs> we need to make baseball cool. Absolutely. Well, that is the biggest thing, and I totally agree with you. Um, we need to do something to keep the sport alive and keep fans interested and bring in new fans. And I think. This type of stuff does that. Like instead of the boring, like people in wah, 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 you hear about, I think people get tired of analytics sometimes because they just get numbers thrown at them and everybody hates math or a lot of people hate math. Thank I you. think something fun is, is cool. And maybe talking about some of the softer stuff like deception that you were talking about, like that stuff that maybe if I'm on the couch, I can sit there and go, oh, I get it. Like there's a little deception here as opposed to getting you know, hearing 3047 RPMs. What does that mean? What does that mean? What am I at a car race? (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, I'm with you. I can do both though. Like, I I like to go in and out of both, and I I I love the numbers, but I don't think you can live and die by them. All I'm gonna say is, let me help you. (laughs) You already have. This has been fantastic. Like, I'm gonna put. I should probably put this on the site too, so that everybody sees when they visit. That Chris is just hawking my stuff. That's what it's all about, my friend. Enjoy the rest of the World Series. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, dude. The pitching pitching ninja right here on A's Cast Live. Look how cool this shirt is. When all the players wear it, we wear it. People love it. The mug. Can you see? Can you get can you get a good look at that? Yeah, I can see it. It's kind of weird because of the light. Well, hold on, hold on. With this new fancy camera. There we go. Look how cool that is. Oh, here, hold on. And this is what I put my coffee. I don't that's drink. A, that's, far, that's as far as I can go. I don't years. drink anymore, but if I did drink, yes, I would put cocktails in here. Got the red one. This one's never been used. This is just a prop for the show. All right, let's zoom out. That's, that's, we're superimposing you too much. The pitching ninja. And he's right. And that's why, and, and you know, that's where I think you've gotten it over over a while how I like to operate. I don't want to go full on just let's talk numbers all day long. It's boring. It's not what sports is about. You gotta talk about fun stuff and fun, you know. And like I think I think great examples when you talk about Javier's, I could sit here and I can give you all these spin I can give you spin, vertical, horizontal break, all that kind of stuff. But one thing, like you said, something you can look for is look how the glove comes high. He doesn't come around because most pitching coaches over the years these guys, you're taught to tuck and come under, not to, because you know what the danger is of when you what you do when you do this. I wasn't a pitcher, so no. 
The danger is if you don't come down and you go across your body like this, you fly open. What happens when you fly open? Body's exposed. Danger. Danger. When you start flying open, you'll you'll hear broadcasters talk about guys who played, and they talk about when you start flying your body open, well, your arm can't catch up. So your arm lags so much, you put the pressure on your shoulder, your rotator cuff, you put it on your elbow. And so that's that's the one thing. That's why they don't teach guys to come out here with their glove because you can start getting that way and not coming straight down. And then that can be no bueno. No bueno. But it just – I think it really is fascinating. You can have two guys back-to-back nights, both right-handers, both not tall. No. McCullers is uh, – let's see. Javier is – of course uh, – Christian Javier is 6'1". Decent-sized man. Lance McCullers Jr. is... Probably about the same. Sorry, the page isn't loading. But McCullers Jr. is 6'1". So the same. Okay. I'd never seen that. I just know watching these games the last two nights, they're about the same height. Yeah. Well, they're exact same height now. They're the exact same. Yeah. So, so here you got two guys. I mean, it's a fascinating case study. The more you think about it, you got two guys: one six one, one six one. One throws ninety four, the other throws ninety four. But their fastballs are completely different. We have a major announcement. Correct. Did that just come down? Yes. Coming up. Wait. Should I want to give it its due? Coming up next, major announcement having to do with your Oakland Athletics. Right here on A's Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than the Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. A's Cast Live continues from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. All righty, do we have the uh, breaking news sounder? Um, yes, here we go. All right. Live from the ABC Sports Desk in New York, I'm Chris Townsend. Breaking news on the Oakland A's front. The man is a legend, has had one of the great careers in the history of baseball. Recently inducted into the Oakland A's Hall of Fame. And hard to believe he's not going to be in the organization anymore. But you want to talk about a run in professional sports, whether you're talking baseball, football, basketball, hockey, tennis, golf, soccer, whatever sport. Am I missing any major sports? NASCAR. Uh, you know, I love me some NASCAR. Uh, no, I think you got them all. Rubbin's racing. Uh, speaking of that, World Cup coming up in a few weeks. 
for in soccer. Is that going through Christmas, by the way? Starts November 20th, so I think it's going to be going through around Christmas. So yeah. there'll be like World Cup games on Christmas Day? They keep Christmas advertising Eve. Christmas stuff, so we'll see. Why do yeah, but, but is it going to be on Christmas? I don't know the full schedule. Don't worry, the U.S. probably won't get to the final. God. But we're in the World Cup again. Well, That's you know all that matters. What? We're back in it. It's because you hate this country, isn't it? You don't like this country. You don't. You don't respect the red, white, and blue. You don't root for them, do you? Uh, well, I mean, I watched the World Cup as a former soccer player, but now that we got Kristen Pulisic back, it's all that matters. He's actually he plays over overseas during this. He doesn't play in the MLS. He's too good. <laughs> anyway, who? Who? Yeah. But that's that's it's in Qatar, right? Correct. That's the guy that you want to look for. But anyway, back to this. Keith Lippman, who spent 52 years in the A's organization as a player, minor league manager. Director of Player Development and most recently a special advisor to Player Development announced his retirement. Now, as you mentioned, Lip, short for Keith Lippman, <laughs> was inducted into the Athletics Hall of Fame this past year. He received baseball's Tony Gwynn Lifetime Achievement Award prior to the 2020 season and was honored with the Sheldon Chief Bender Award from Minor League Baseball in 2010 for distinguished service and being instrumental in player development during his career. This is a quote from Billy Bean in the release that we got. Oh, Billy and David Forrest. For five decades, Keith worked for the A's. He brought passion, deep knowledge, kindness, and integrity to the field with him every single day. No one better embodies the spirit of this organization. Through his teaching and his leadership, Keith enhanced the careers and lives of countless A's players, coaches, managers, and staff. We're incredibly grateful that he shared so much of himself with this team and incredibly proud to call him a friend. We will miss him we will miss his daily presence dearly, and we wish him and his wife, Corinne, all the best in their well-earned retirement. So congrats to Lip on an incredible 52-year run with the A's or Oakland A's organization. Remember, last year was it was Voos. Now it's so we lost Voos and Lip to retirement. Uh, what other what other last name abbreviated to a nickname or who's next? Lipman. Has worked for the A's longer than I've been alive. Yep. So he's played for nine seasons in the minors from 1971 to 1979. Managed for eight from 80 to 87 and was the director well, of instruction. Now, well, yeah, as a player, he's working. So, yeah, as a player, yeah. minor league manager, director of player development, special advisor, advisor. all that kind of stuff. Just, just, just think about this. Keith Lippman has gotten a paycheck from the athletics organization, not the Oakland Athletics, the athletics, because he started in Kansas City. He's been getting a paycheck from the athletics longer than I've been alive. Yeah. I just turned 50. Think about that. We're we're when when we talk all the time about one of the special reasons why it's great to work here. You know, there's a lot of reasons why, but there's a real special reason why uh, you love working for the Oakland Athletics because because it is a real family atmosphere. One of the very rare things that still happens in professional sports. When you have Keith Lippman, 52 years. Think how long Billy Bean has been here. Think how long David Force, Pam Pitts. You know, you think Mickey. Just, you think Mickey Morbido. You think of everybody down the line. And 
you know, there's a lot of things that have been around the organization as of late and a lot of negativity and a lot of people say things to you and you just don't understand. It's a great place to work. It truly is a great place to work. And Keith Lippman is a great example. And you talk about somebody who's selfless. You know, this is a guy who, outside of being a player, his job for all these years has been to help everybody get better. It's not about him. It's never been about him. Keith Lippman has been about how do I make these players, these coaches, these managers, heck, the people in uh, player personnel, the people in the front office, how do I help everybody be better? That's what his job has been. And he has touched generation after generation after generation of athletics players. I mean, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, you name it. He's, 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 he's played a role in a lot of people's lives that has gone beyond baseball. You know, when we've talked to people and they talk about Keith Lippman has given a lot of advice that has nothing to do with baseball to people about careers, about careers after baseball. He's helped so many people with careers beyond the game. That's the kind of man he is. He is a teacher. He's an advisor. He's a friend. He's a shoulder to cry on. I mean, a lot of there, there's a lot of there's a lot of tough conversations in this business. A lot of dreams are ruined. Now time that dream's over. It's now time you got to do something else. Well, Keith Lippman has been there for people in that transition. We've had players on recently. You talk about Kurt Suzuki how Keith Lippman helped him. Think about Sean Doolittle. Think about this guy right here. I don't even know if my thing works anymore. Might need a battery replace. Yeah, it's not happening. But old <laughs> Do here. Friend of the program. Sean Doolittle, who was supposed to be our first baseman, between knee, hand, wrist, and all these different injuries, Sean Doolittle's career was toast. He was never going to be that player that the A's thought he was going to be. So who did he go to? Keith Lipman. Hey, you remember when I used to pitch in college? I threw kind of hard. I'm left-handed. Why not? Keith Lipman said, why not? Later that year, right through the organization, right to the big leagues, now a career as a World Series champion, an all-star, a multimillionaire, a man – who has taken his platform to try and help other people. Sean Doolittle has taken his celebrity, his money, his platform with his wife and have done nothing but try to help other people. So when you think about like the, what is the Kevin Bacon thing? Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You could do like how many degrees of Keith Lippman? Like how many people... Has Sean Doolittle and his wife helped? A lot. Okay. Well, Sean Doolittle probably doesn't get that opportunity to help those people unless Keith Lippman is a part of his life. Because Keith Lippman, a lot of people would have been, do. You gave it a good shot, buddy. You're injured. You're broken. Go finish that degree. Where do you go, Virginia? Virginia, yeah. 
Did he graduate? I don't know if he graduated. Uh, it's a good question. But you know what? Keith Lippman could have said, hey, buddy, go finish that degree. You're going to do well in whatever you want to do. It's over. But no. Keith Lippman came together. Sean Doolittle. Sean Doolittle came a pitcher. Sean Doolittle. I mean, that, that tells you a lot about Keith Lippman and what he's done for a lot of people's lives. And the fact that he's retiring after 52 years in the game, I mean, that is a – I mean, I can't say it enough. He has gotten a paycheck from the A's, Kansas City, Oakland, longer than I've been alive. Longer than our next guest has been alive, the great Scott Emerson. How hey, what's up, guys? How are you? I'm doing good. Doing real good. Well, we were just talking about it. It's been announced that uh, Keith Lippman has finally retired after 52 years in the organization. And I was just trying to let people know that what this man has done for so many people's lives, whether it's players, it's coaches, it's managers, it's front office, his whole life has been about making people better. His whole life has been about how do I get you to where you want to go? Then he's also been there for people when their career is going to end and how do they transition. I just mentioned Sean Doolittle. Sean Doolittle was supposed to be our first baseman. He was broken. He was hurt. But Doolittle went to Lip and said, hey, remember when I used to pitch? So they decided let's give it a chance. Next thing you know, he's a World Series champion. He's an all-star. Look how many people Doolittle has helped with his celebrity off the field. I mean, it's all these different things. I'm sure you have Keith Lippman stories. Uh, the man's career is absolutely amazing. It's really one of a kind. Yeah, probably the biggest influential uh, person in my life in, on the baseball side. You know, I've been in this organization 20 years and, uh, you know, Lip started out as my boss, uh, became a friend and a mentor, an unbelievable leader who looked out for people uh, more so than just baseball players. He, he molded a lot of us that are on the, our major league coaching staff. And I just can't say enough about Keith Lippman. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And, um, you know, he's just a, a person of integrity. Uh, I mean, the guy used to make us read books and, and become better coaches and leaders by, by influencing us to read these books. And we'd have to give presentations to the rest of the coaching staff in the minor leagues. And, uh, you know, he, he's just the best, man. And I love that guy. And I wish him well in retirement. You know, you mentioned your time here, and I try and tell people that what makes this organization special and different from most professional sports organizations, just not in baseball, is the family atmosphere. And it's it's really it's special. You don't get that many places. And everybody has been around for a long time, starting with Lippman all the way to Billy Bean to everybody in, in around. You know, Mickey Morabito's been here forever. Steve Vucinich, who just retired, had been here since he was 18 years old. I think that's one of the things for all of us who are A's, A's employees that we try and tell people when there's times where people aren't happy with the organization, they ask, what, you got to, hey, listen, this is a great place to work. This is a very special place to work. Yeah, the grass is greener on the other side, per se, right? Uh, you know, I, I look at, uh, you know, Gil Patterson's been here three separate occasions, our, our minor league pitching coordinator. I look at uh, Rick Rodriguez, who's been here a long time as, you know, uh, a minor league pitching coach, a bullpen coach, uh, a rehab coordinator now. I look at Craig Lefferts. You know, those are the guys that uh, Don Schultz, those guys, 
I've been in the, in this organization a long time, uh, pitching coaches in this organization, guys that I look up to, guys that I collaborate with. And it, it's always good because we're always changing our, our thoughts and our ideas and we're running them by each other. And, and to be able to, to be close and trust people, you know, when you're trying to get people better, you want people that you can trust. And, uh, you know, obviously our front office, uh, David Forrest and Billy Bean, Dan Feinstein have been here a long time as well. And they're that, that mold and glue that, that runs the place. And, uh, you know, they entrust all of us and, and, and our opinions and, and, uh, let us be creative and, and, um, come up with new ideas. So it's, you know, it's definitely a great place to come every day. You know, we, we talk about the world series and the playoffs, and I think more now than ever, we learn stuff in the playoffs that then we can implement during the regular season, the next year, different ideas, different usage of players, how to utilize players, strategies and everything. So how much, maybe you do, maybe you don't. How much do you watch the World Series and how much do you pay attention? And we'll throw playoffs in there, too, of what other teams are doing. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, being a baseball guy my whole life, I'm a baseball fan. And uh, anytime I, I get to go learn baseball, watch baseball, I'm trying to learn and watch baseball. And, uh, you know, that's my life and that's what I love to do. So, yeah, obviously I've been watching the playoffs and, and you know, digging in on what teams are doing. Uh, what new technologies are out there, uh, what they're using during the, the, the series, kind of listening to the announcers and, and you know, reading up on what teams are thinking about. And, uh, you know, it's been a, a really good playoff, in my opinion, this year. Uh, a lot of exciting ball games, and I think the fans are into it, and I think it's good for baseball. Take us through kind of a new strategy for starters where – we used to like say, I want four pitches. I want hitters to think I've got a fastball, I've got a curveball, I got a slider, a changeup. I've got I, I've got a menu. So Chris Townsend's menu is a nice menu, right? But I don't throw them all the same or equally as well. And now you can have certain pitchers say, the hell with your menu. I've got a good fastball, I got a good slider. We already know pitchers aren't going deep in games. I'm giving you what I got, my best to let's go. It's a little bit different of a philosophy, wouldn't you say, over the years where we want you to have four, at least three. Now it's give me your best two and let's go. Well, I, I think it's, you know, you know, like you said, your philosophy. What are you going to go out there and accomplish? Uh, you know, you look at the two – two pitch pitcher, that's generally your reliever, right? So uh, they only have to go through the lineup one time. Uh, if you have uh, pitches that are, you know, what we consider major league well above average pitches, then by all means, you know, you get to cut your arsenal down from four to two pitches and throw those. But sometimes, you know, people always say, well, if you got a, a your sliders, your best pitch, you should throw it more. But what they don't understand is, okay, now I'm compromising counts. I'm going to have to throw them in different situations just to throw it more. My opinion is if I got my best pitch, I'm not going to throw it more. I'm going to throw it in the right time, in the appropriate time that I'm supposed to be throwing this pitch. And that's my opinion. You know, Obviously, if you have four pitches uh, and you need all four pitches to get one hitter out, you really ought to think about you know your four pitches. But, um, you know, uh, my best 
thing that I like to tell our pitchers is you got to have a strength that can cover that hitter's weakness. That's why you got to be able to move the fastball to both sides of the plate. That's why you got to be able to go soft away with something. So if you can move your fastball to both sides of the plate and you can go soft away, there's the start of your arsenal because you should be able to uh, um, attack a weakness from the hitter. Now, everybody says, let's go strength on strength. Well, if I can go strength on the weakness, that's a lot better than going strength on strength. See, that's why I love talking to you because everybody's going to do what I got in front of me now. Everybody's going to have baseball savant. It's going to tell you all the numbers. It's going to give me it's going to give me spin rates. It's going to give me horizontal. It's going to give me vertical. And then you're going to see people read this and go, "Well, if his slider is his best pitch, throw it more. Throw it more. Throw it more." But as you said, throwing it at the right time is more effective than just throwing it more because a number tells you it's your best pitch. Well, if if you think about it and um if your best pitch is your slider, but it's an average major league pitch, it might not be the best pitch to throw to that hitter on a consistent basis. Because most breaking balls that end up in the strike zone, well, they're hanging breaking balls. So the, the guys that have really good late bite and breaking balls, they're they're you know generally a little bit harder, a little bit later on the break. And uh, those are the guys that can get chased outside the strike zone more than the guy that has to keep throwing it inside the strike zone. If you keep throwing it inside the strike zone, how effective does it you know, really become if that's what you're doing? You're throwing you know, basically a slower pitch inside the strike zone more often, and you lose that element of surprise. Now, all this obviously is my opinion, but uh, you know, by, like I said, by all means, if you got a plus pitch, Use it at the appropriate time. But if you're, all your pitches aren't plus, having the hitters think about what you're going to throw I think is important as well. How about the last two days for the Astros? We were just going over this, thought it was really interesting, where you have two pitchers, the exact same height, they throw a fastball at the exact same speed. So both Javier and McCullers Jr. 6-1, both average around 94 mile an hour with their fastball, but both utilize their fastball and both have different confidence levels with their fastball. I thought that was fascinating to watch the difference between the two and back-to-back nights. Did you feel the same? Well, if you looked at Javier, I believe the stat was he used his fastball 72% of the time. And when, when you have a fastball that you can command, just think of how many quadrants of the plate you can throw it to. You can throw it in, you can throw it out, you can throw it up and in, you can throw it down away, you can throw it all over the place. When you have a slider and you're, you know, for lack of a better word, abusing that slider, you're either going to throw it at the bottom of the zone, you're going to throw it down and away to your glove side or down away uh, below your, your uh, below the zone. So that's basically kind of like three areas that you're going to throw your slider. Obviously, you don't want to throw a slider middle-middle, uh, even though they do work once in a while. Uh, but, uh, like I said, the more you throw, uh, sliders in and breakers, uh, inside the strike zone, I think, uh, the more, and that's all you're throwing, then the advantage starts kind of swaying towards the hitter. That's why it's important for me. What I like is to, uh, if you're going to throw a lot of sliders, you still got to mix that fastball in, uh, to move them off the plate. So you can set it up for down and away. And, uh, you got to be able to, uh, it's got to be good enough. You get, you know, quite frankly, it's got to be good enough to get chase. 
One of the big things going on in the playoffs, and it happens every single year, is we start looking about how you pitching coaches and the manager handle the pitching staffs. And, you know, it, we, we look at it earlier than we do even during the regular season where all of a sudden a little bit of trouble happens and everybody's worrying who's warming up, who's not, when we're going to pull the guy. We have no problem pulling guys really early. When you hear all the discussion, right, Dusty Baker's taking criticism in this World Series. Rob Thompson now took criticism last night for not getting Nola out early. When, when you sit back and now you get to be a fan and you get to analyze it because you're not in uniform, you're not a part of the decision-making process, how, how do you see it when the media and the ex-players start to say, it's too quick, it's too late, and they go about that that thought process? How, how, do, how do you view it? Well, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a lot tougher when you're sitting in that dugout and you got to make decisions uh, immediately and you got to make them um, – you know, thinking about the team first, that's most important. You know, like some guys will say, well, you know, why did he come out of the game? He only had 69 pitches, 79 pitches, 89 pitches. He could have gone more pitches. Well, you know, when you're, when you're in competition, you're, you're playing to win the game. So uh, the pitch count for me never really matters. I think personally guys can throw 120 pitches. If the game dictates, they can get to 120 pitches, but you also have to understand that we're trying to win the game as a team. You know, I know, you know, years and years ago, um, you know, everybody was trying to get that starter to get through five innings because he qualifies for the win, which is great, which that would be a nice bonus point for us. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all looking for how the team wins the baseball game. And, you know, these managers are under a lot of pressure from, like you said, the media, the fans, the front offices to, to go out there and, and make, decisions you know i'm sure that they're all talking about it in a room they're all compiling their data they're all trying to make educated decisions and at some point in time sometimes you do have to think about tomorrow you look at philadelphia that was down five to nothing so you know they're probably thinking it's the sixth inning how are we going to get to tomorrow to have our guys uh, fresh and ready to go not saying they are punting the game away but uh, they don't want to come out and use their back end of the bullpen or their, their what I call end of the game guys uh, in a down game, five, nothing. So, you know, all these decisions are never easy. You know, you, you can't please everybody. Um, and that's why the managers get paid the big bucks to go out there and, and make those decisions. But, uh, you know, every game does count when the game is close. You can't let the game get away. But, you know, you got two guys on, you throw one hanging breaking ball, guy hits a three-run homer, that game is getting away right now. Now all of a sudden you got to warm somebody up. Now he might be in the game three hitters later. Now it might be four or five to nothing. And then you're deciding, well, should I use this guy down five or nothing? And I had him warming up to be down three nothing. But if I get down five nothing, I'm kind of wasting one of my end of the game guys. So, you know, there's a lot of variables that go into making decisions. Well, I know on this show, I would be like the manager. Cody would be like the pitching coach, and Cody just bosses me around. Cody tells me what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Uh, inside the dugout, when it comes that time and you and Mark Kotze are talking about it, how do you go about it when you think, well, maybe it is time to change, maybe it's not time to change? What, what are the discussions like? 
Well, you, you know, you're, you're always, uh, you know, trying to think about the process first and uh, you're, you're going into the game and you're, you're talking about it before you even get on the field. Where are we at? Who are we going to use? You know, a lot of people, why didn't they use this guy? Why didn't they do that guy? Sometimes these guys just aren't available to pitch that night. So, uh, you know, that's my job to walk the line as they're warming up, playing catch each and every day and go in and tell Cots, hey, this guy's down today. He doesn't feel good. Or, you know, we have to use common sense. Even though the guy feels pretty good, we might think he's down that day and I might have to make that decision to Cots and say, hey, I don't think he should be pitching today. So there's a lot of decisions being made before we even get to the, to the dugout and for the game. My job for me is, you know, to remind the manager, like, hey, earlier we talked about this, if they get off the page or if they want to do something different and just kind of remind them, hey, I thought we were going to go in this direction. Uh, but, you know, the managers do an unbelievable go- job. Uh, Cods does an unbelievable job of, of running our bullpen, trying to keep our guys fresh. Look, this is this is a 162-game Major League season plus the playoffs. And sometimes you know, the workload management is tough because you're trying to win each and every night with what you got. So, you know, if, if I feel like a guy's running out of gas, my, my cue to the cots is kind of like, hey, are you thinking? Because, you know, he, he is the manager of the game. He is the guy that makes the ultimate decisions uh, during the game. But, you know, a lot of times he'll, he'll be talking to me and, and our bench coach and, and all the other coaches and just kind of compiling some information uh, what do they think? And uh, he'll ask around. And at the end of the day, he's got to make that that big decision. But, you know, if a guy's out of gas and the, and the pitches aren't just working the way they should be, that's when I'll say something like, are you thinking? And, uh, you know, he'll probably come back with, well, what are you thinking? And then I'll tell him, hey, this guy's out of gas. He's starting to elevate balls that he doesn't want to elevate balls or his breaker's not as sharp as it's been throughout the game. So I think, you know, we always talk about uh, Cots is big on uh, uh, communication and collaboration. So, you know, you, you communicate, you collaborate before the game, and you go into that with that game plan. And, um, you know, there's no, you know, there, there's always a plan. Who we got when we're leading, who we got when we're tied, who we got for the big boppers, where do we want to go, we don't just go out there and wing it. You think you could provide me that list for after the game in the post-game show when all the callers call up and they say, well, why the hell didn't they do this? And I'm like, I don't know. If I had that list, I'd be able to say, well, he wasn't available. See, I would know well, then. Well, you, you know, nobody's – nobody's uh, obviously – the fans are, you know, we got a lot of smart fans, right? So when they start saying, thinking, how come they didn't use AJ Puck on this left-hander? He hadn't, uh, he, he he hadn't pitched in the day. Well, maybe something's going on with AJ Puck, or or he just needed a day because he's had uh, some times warming up in the bullpen. So uh, you know, generally the fans when they when you know when they think something's going on, you know. That's all they got to think about is, well, he's probably down because sure enough, Cots isn't going to do that. Well, since you mentioned A.J. Puck, when we arrive in Mesa, will A.J. Puck be a uh, working into a starting role or will he be still in your bullpen? Oh, man, that's always the great conversation you guys like to get me on, huh? <laughs> I, I, you know, the one thing I will say. You brought I him up. Say, I, well, I, I talked about him in the bullpen, but the one <laughs> thing I will say for A.J., AJ had a heck of a year as a reliever. 
And, uh, you know, I won't yep. say, uh, you know, everything is possible. We'll go into the season and see where we're at. Well, you know, one thing that's just a reality, and it was Perry Manassian, it was last year right after the lockout. Uh, he's the GM for the Angels, and he was on Sirius XM saying, hey, listen, you know, you're going to need – Around 13 starting pitchers a year. That's kind of the average everybody's using. So you start to just think about it, you know, because we always used to go, who's our five? Who's our five coming out of spring? You're going to need a lot more than five. That's just a reality in today's game. So when, when you start to prepare for spring training, and I know you think about this all the time, and you think about the state, you need like, it's like horses, right? You're North Carolina. You need a stable of horses. You need a stable of potential starters that are at the big league level and guys that are at the triple A level who you can call up just off the top of your head and numbers wise going into next year. What do you think that number is? How many guys do you think you have? Well, I, I think, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, our, our stable per se, uh, uh, you know, obviously we got Cole Irvin, uh, James Caprillion, Blackburn, uh, Koenig, Logue, Oller, Martinez, um, who am I missing? Sears, uh, Waldachuk. Sears. That's I mean, nine. We've got, we got a nice stable to go yeah. out and, um, and and let the healthy competition in spring training and the body of work that the guys did during the season too. You know, so, you know, everybody's cooped. Some people are like, well, he pitched really good in spring training and, or, or he didn't have the greatest year, but he pitched really good in spring training. So, or, uh, so you got to kind of like always, kind of mix and match that spring training means something. Yes. But the body of work during the season means something as well. And if that guy's body of work during the season wasn't as good as he expected it, or we expected it, then he's probably got to pick it up a little bit in spring training to stick out like a sore thumb in a good way. But uh, I really look forward to it because, you know, we gave a lot of guys an opportunity to, to pitch in the big leagues this year. I think some guys at the end of the season were able to breathe a little bit better and relax. You know, I always say, you know, 50 starts, 55 starts, you kind of start really feeling uh, out who these guys are. You know, I look at Cole Irvin, the, uh, the guy for me has had two really good, solid major league seasons. Uh, you know, Paul Blackburn's been around a long time. Uh, James Caprillion, you know, put it together the last five starts to, to make everything interesting, right? So now you just kind of you go out, you try to give everybody an opportunity in, in, in spring training to, to pitch. And then, you know, that's the tough part. Decisions come. And, and um, you know, we want to be able to, to run out the best five guys to start the season and, and understand that, you know, a lot of other guys, even though they're not on the major league team at the start of the season, they're still a huge important factor in our season. Yeah. That's something I'm, I'm excited about. That's going to give you guys an opportunity to try and win as you're starting pitching. And it's going to be a very good competition, not only in spring training, but, but throughout the year. And when, when you think about the off season, you know, we, you know, that's one thing that's great about A's cast is that A's baseball doesn't go away. You know, it used to be in the past where you'd have the final out and A's baseball wouldn't be back till the first pitch of the season. No, we bridge that gap in the offseason. And I think about for you, just tell the fans, the offseason program for you, how much do you reach out to the players? How much are you checking in on the players to see how they're doing, what they're doing at some point? 
You know, when are they going to throw? Some guys live in where there's not great weather. Just take us through the off season for you and your guys. Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things that uh, really helps out is there's so many baseball indoor facilities nowadays. You know, when, when I grew up uh, out in Arizona, you know, there wasn't many and it was hot and you went outside. And then you always heard about the guys in the Northeast who haven't been off the mound uh, very much in the off season because of the weather. But now with all these indoor facilities, you got these guys being able to train year round. You got these guys being able to throw year round. So, you know, we're really trying to tailor everybody's uh, throwing program uh, to them, what they like to do. You know, sometimes, um, you know, you, you get a throwing program and guys want to throw more and they're throwing behind your back per se. And that's the one thing you really want to avoid. You know, I, I'd rather if the guys want to be throwing now, I'd rather have a program for them and uh, get them on some sort of page with us and, and talk to them then uh, just kind of go behind your back. So, you know, those conversations are starting. Uh, we got we got a, a, a guideline program that we'd like everybody to kind of stay on a little bit because our throwing program is going to tie in with our strength and conditioning program, which will tie in with our arm care program. So everything kind of ties in uh, with everything. And it's, uh, you know, I got to make some calls. I, I try to get on, you know, five or six guys every other day and, and at least talk to the guys or text with them, you know, every 10 days. And then, uh, you know, starting here next week, middle of next week to the following week is when you really get on the phone and say, all right, it's, uh, you know, after Thanksgiving for sure, it's, it's time to start, you know, playing backyard catch, keeping your intensity low, getting the arm moving. And then, uh, you know, how quick are we going to ramp this guy up to be ready for the season? And, you know, you always like to backtrack from uh, the, the first game of the season all the way to uh, the, the beginning of spring training. And then now, you know, with uh, these tailored uh, um, routines for everybody, you know, you can get in detail of what they're doing in the middle of December. Well, I, I think about how just technology changes so fast. I mean, you get into one thing, next thing you know, there's something new out there. So how important is it? for you to make sure that your pitchers have all the latest stuff. I don't even know what all the latest stuff is. Uh, and who knows if some people have stuff going that other teams don't know about. But how much do you want to try and keep up with the Joneses technology-wise for your pitchers? Well, you know, it's always important. But the technology is only as good as, uh, you know, the players can process the information. If you're giving them too much, and they're not capable of making Hall of Fame pitches yet, and they're trying to make Hall of Fame pitches, in my opinion, they weed themselves out a little sooner because they're, they're, they're more worried about making unbelievable pitches than probable pitches. So, you know, that's why, you know, I always talk about the ability to command your fastball to all the quadrants of the plate first, and then we can work off of that. So, you know, it, it, some guys can't throw that Greg Maddox two-seamer that starts in on the lefty and, and comes back on the corner. Some guys can't throw the, the front hip breaking ball to a right-hander right on right inside. Some guys can't throw it back door. But, you know, you always have to try to master first what you're still capable of doing. And I think what happens nowadays are these kids are getting uh, the younger pitcher, the youth pitchers are getting into this technology so soon. And the, um, the horse is, is ahead of the cart now, or the cart is ahead of the horse. So, 
you know, you got to be able to, uh, you know, still throw quality strikes, throw strikes with your fastball, change speeds, and be able to master what you can do first before you can really start gaining an advantage and doing things that are, are you know, high class. You know, I, I like guys to take one step at a time still. Well, it always comes down to one thing, and you tell us, and before we let you go, teach us all again, what's the number one thing about pitching? Well, if hitting's timing, pitching is disruption of timing. You got any questions? Do you have any questions? Uh, no. It's good to see you, Emo. Thank you for doing this. Oh, no problem. How's, no problem. The, how's the golf game? Hey, I shot 88 the other day at Todd Hill Farms here in Asheboro, North Carolina. And uh, Golf Digest at one time had it as the uh, one of the top five hardest golf courses in the United States. Then that's legit. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those courses if, uh, you know, you're, you're pin high and the ball might roll back 50 yards. So you got to kind of <laughs> pull a little target golf. But uh, I, played, I played three times uh, since I've been back. I was fortunate enough to play in the uh, Ronald McDonald House tournament in Greensboro. That was that was great. Uh, and what uh, the people of Ronald McDonald's do for uh, children is unbelievable. Well, you live in one of the most beautiful parts uh, of the country. All right, after this seventh game of the World Series, the uh, calendar is clear. Hey, I'm here. I'm. I, how's Jan, how's January, February before spring training? Uh, well, February starts to get real cold in North Carolina. January, you know, you're going to be in the high 30s, low 40s. Maybe, maybe, maybe some snow. How about before Thanksgiving? Good time. All right. Uh, keep your phone on. I, I thanks for bu- you. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. That's the great Scott Emerson, the pitching coach of your Oakland Athletics. Scott, is he good? If hitting is timing, pitching is disruption of timing. Correct. Emo just told you that. Jesus, how many times do we have to talk about that? I know. Coming up next, the greatness of Dave Dombrowski. He deserves all the praise that he's getting. We'll have it for you next. We're talking World Series right here on A's Cast Live. Oakland Athletics spring training is right around the corner, and you can be part of the excitement. Get your tickets now and plan ahead for a fun-filled trip to Mesa, Arizona this spring. Pack the sunscreen, bring your friends, pick up some ballpark classics, and watch your green and gold get ready for the regular season. Get your tickets today to see the Athletics take on the Giants, Padres, Cubs, Dodgers, and more. Tickets are on sale now at athletics.com slash spring. That's athletics.com slash spring. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Well, we've been talking about the article, and it's absolutely fantastic. And Zach is with us now as we're talking about Dave Dombrowski and, you know, truly one of the great executives in the history of professional sports, let alone 
Major League Baseball. How are you today? Good. How are you guys? We're doing well. And, you know, you know, we come from a world that is Moneyball. And everybody always talks Moneyball, whether it's the book, it's the movie. Obviously, Billy Bean's a good friend. And Dave Dombrowski, who's been doing this a long time. You can go back to the 70s when he first got into baseball. He's never been the celebrity GM, the celebrity baseball, president of baseball operations. But all he has ever done is established one of the great reputations in the history of the game, and he's won. He has, yeah. I mean, you look back, he was doing this. Uh, he built the 1997 Marlins that were a big surprise and won the World Series, and uh, that was obviously before Moneyball was even a book. Uh, he was he left for the Tigers uh, that same year in 2002, and the 2003 Marlins ended up winning the World Series with a lot of the pieces he acquired. But I, I think, you know, he's evolved with the uh, with the game. There's there have been a ton of changes and he has not necessarily been the as you said, he hasn't been the uh, the icon people hold up as the avatar of those changes. But through it all, he's stayed current and he's had a plan. And obviously he's worked for some organizations willing to spend money and he's been a very good shepherd of that money. I, I always talk about it. He's the first GM I ever interviewed in my career. And he is like the last guy that still travels with the team. So I've done a lot of interviews with him over the years. He's the nicest guy in the world. Everybody loves him. And so you root for guys like this. And I just still think of his departure in Boston. It's still something that doesn't sit right, obviously, with him. It's one of the reasons why he didn't want to get back into this gig with Philly right away. But really with a lot of people in baseball, it's like the Red Sox did him wrong and no one has forgotten it. Yeah, it's an odd, it was an odd situation all the way around. I, less than a year after assembling a 108 win team, you get uh, fired. I, it's not, uh, you know, you almost thought like something else must be up, but I don't think anything was. It was just a he and John Henry, the uh, Red Sox team owners, seemed to disagree on the way that they wanted to go from there. You know, that that Red Sox team, the 2019 team, ended up being an 84-win team, which was a disappointment coming off 108 wins, but it's actually better than they've been in two of the three seasons since they fired him. Uh, and obviously, a huge reason for that is that they decided to trade Mookie Betts mostly for salary relief, uh, which is you know, you're going to be worse if you do that. And based on Dave Dombrowski's entire pattern of operation, I have to imagine that that was not what he was planning to do. Yeah, it's just not right. But, you know, here he is. He goes to Nashville, and obviously our own Dave Stewart is going to be a part of that ownership group. And we've learned a lot about the Nashville Stars, and he's a consultant there and, you know, with plans hopefully to run the baseball team. And then – here comes his buddy Andy McPhail going, no, we want you in Philly. He turned, it sounds like he turned down Philly so many different times that finally it's like it just had to happen because they wanted him so bad. Right. I think the story we've heard, uh, you know, that I've seen reported is kind of he wanted to hold out for the Nashville team. He, he wanted to help start this expansion franchise and maybe he thought it was coming a little sooner than uh, it actually is. You know, I, there's always been speculation about when baseball is going to uh, expand, when they're going to add two more teams, when they might do new divisions. 
And uh, I think I've heard reported uh, at some point, uh, John Middleton, the Phillies owner, convinced uh, Dave Dombrowski to call Rob Manfred to yeah. ask him about the timeline for Nashville. And, and whatever Manfred told him, uh, Dombrowski said, OK, maybe I have time to go run the Phillies for a while. So, uh, you know, I, obviously there's no expansion coming, you know, in the next couple of years. So clearly Dombrowski had at least enough of a window to, uh, you know, take this team to the World Series and see them through a little bit longer if he wants. You know, reading your piece in Yahoo Sports, I got thinking about how everybody likes to use Moneyball. And I, I, I think about if I'm Billy Bean, what, what bothers me is a lot of people talk about Moneyball and a lot of these teams have money. Moneyball was established in Oakland because Billy Bean had no money, right? He just had to borrow, scrape, do whatever he could to try and field a competitive team. And it's funny how you'll hear other teams talk about Moneyball. And it's like, wait a minute. Billy Bean didn't have – it wasn't like Billy Bean had a bunch of money. Could, he, he, he just didn't want to spend. Like, Billy would have loved the problems of the Red Sox or all these other teams. So it's so funny when people, like, in, in our sport bring up Moneyball and you're like, nah, that's not kind of quite apples to apples to what Billy had. Right. I think, and I go into this a little bit in the piece. Just yeah. it's, it's a good it's, piece, by the way. It was fantastic. Thank you. Uh, it's difficult to separate what Moneyball is and what it was because of how it has been co opted both by every baseball team, by the literal finance industry. You know, it, it has taken on a greater definition as a stand in for, you know, just the practice of looking for uh, competitive disadvantages or, or market inefficiencies, which is what Billy Bean was doing, except he was doing it out of necessity, as you mentioned. He was doing it because he couldn't spend the same way as other baseball teams, so he needed to find a different way to look at players so that the A's could gain an advantage. I think now what you have is, you know, every team in Major League Baseball is operating with some uh, shared understandings that only came about because of Moneyball, but using those is no longer Moneyball. That's just common sense using data in addition to scouting all of that stuff those are effects of what billy bean did in moneyball but they are no longer moneyball in and of themselves uh so what you have are just when you look at a team doing something differently which i think teams that hire dave dombrowski now are actually doing something different in that they're sort of pledging to run their team in a way that is built to create that critical win now mass in a way that a lot of gms don't tend to do uh, you know, we've it's kind of come full circle in that the money ball in baseball right now, that that market inefficiency, that doing something different is just almost not related to what Billy Bean was doing back in 2002. When you write a piece like this and obviously you're looking into front offices, do you ever sit back and go, wow, I'm talking about a guy who's basically saying I want to win? Right, and he he's he's saying compared to the, what then what is it for everybody else? Like he right, wants to win. He wants the object of the game is to win. The object is to win the World Series, and I think we all kind of know there's front offices where I don't know if that's their number one goal. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ownership groups, especially that uh, seem uh, less than gung ho about putting all their eggs in, uh, any one basket for a season. And, 
Dave Dombrowski puts all his eggs out there. He he goes and gets the best players to try to win every season. Now, you know, I think there's something to be said about we've seen the randomness of the playoffs this year. We've seen that the Dodgers almost certainly had the best baseball team this year, but they went out early in October. That sort of thing can't happen. And so there's something to be said for an intentional strategy of if you want to win the World Series, maybe your best shot is to build an organization that's going to get to October the most frequently. That's fine. But I think there is, you know, understandably, fans want to see the effort. They want to understand why you're doing the things you're doing. They want to see star players who stick around, who are pursued and aren't let go simply because of the dollar figure when almost all, I think all of the owners of major league baseball teams are billionaires. You know, they want to see that commitment. And uh, Dave Dombrowski, uh, he does, you know, I think he gets a little bit of a outdated rap for not being as into the analytics as everyone else, which, I mean, he beefed up the Boston uh, sabermetric operations, but you know, he does the things that, you know, you look at and say, he's definitely going for it right now. Are you still based in New York? I am, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to be making the trip to Vegas soon, and I'm going to take all of my kids' college money. I'm going to go up to the sports book, and I've got to bet Aaron Judge Yankee, Aaron Judge not a Yankee, and this is going to decide whether my kids go to a, 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 a four-year school or a junior college. Where do you want to bet my kids' college money? Well, if you're if you're saying you're going to do that, and I can't talk you out of that, uh, no, then, anyway, uh, this is my kids' college fund is on you right now. I I would go with uh, staying with the Yankees. I think it's probably sixty forty is where I'd put it. But I I think when especially after the the historic season he had, they're going to look at that as a legacy moment. They're going to look at that as you know this guy is going to be in their uh, monument park someday they can't really look at it and say, ah, you know, the extra $20 million, we can't do it. I I think that's a moment where even under the, you know, more restrained Steinbrenner progeny, I think they're going to look at that and say they have to pony up and make sure he stays a Yankee. I I think it's going to be a fascinating free agency. I, you know, I, I think the, there are a couple teams who are really in a good position to go make a run if they, if they want to, I, you know, I look at the San Francisco giants, not just because judge is from out there, but they are a team that has n- no significant financial contributions beyond 2023. And if you're going to be creative and figure out what the deal is that works for a player like Aaron judge, that's a pretty good situation to start from. I mean, we're, 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 we're in the Bay Area. We love living here. We get how great it is. We know where he grew up. We know the whole thing. But I, I keep sitting here going, wait a minute. You're in New York. You're on Broadway. You're where the stars are. And you're telling me that you don't want to have for the rest of your life and then your children's children and then your grandchildren's children for them to be able to go to Yankee Stadium where you've got a monument next to Ruth, Gehrig, Mantle, Jeter, DiMaggio, uh, Mattingly, on and on and on. You're going to give that up to come to San Francisco to someday be on the Wall of Fame next to Joe Panic and Hunter Pence? (laughs) Right. Are you serious? Like, are you serious? I would really sit down there and judge and go, hey, buddy, I get what you're going. Like, no matter my – 
No amount of money could change what I would want for my legacy after I'm gone. That's what the Yankees give you. They, they certainly do, but it, it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, the the very public way that they came out with the extension offer they gave him prior to the season in the spring, you know, Brian Cashman came out and told uh, reporters exactly how much they offered him, why they thought it was a good uh, a good deal, which is just very strange. You don't really see that. You don't see GMs talking about the offer. And the implication of that was, hey, we think we made him a really good offer, and it's kind of his fault that he didn't take it, which I kind of agree that it was a fair offer. I wouldn't say it was one that Judge should have rushed out to sign, but I think it was a very fair offer based on his career to that point. The It's almost just terrible luck for the Yankees that he came out and had the best season we've seen since Barry Bonds. I mean, they couldn't have really foreseen that particular outcome, but I, I do wonder what Judge thinks of that move to come out and publicly say, hey, we made an offer and he didn't take it. It, it felt like a sort the sort of thing where they maybe were trying to push the fans against him a little bit and pressure him. Uh, and, and that, you know, it, I'm sure that if things work out, he will happily remain a Yankee. But I, I am wondering about how that dynamic plays in his head. Well, I know everybody's talking about the Giants and, you know, his wife is from Linden out here too in the Central Valley and her mom is a part of the Linden School District and all that kind of stuff. And then it's the Dodgers, whatever. If I was worth $16 billion and I own the Mets and I want to be a troll and money doesn't matter to me and I'm fighting for publicity with the Yankees, I'm telling you right now, if I'm Steve Cohen, nobody's outbidding me for him. And I think that may be the case. I don't know if it'll work, but uh, I think Steve Cohen will be thinking something along those lines. You know, we've we've seen his approach to off seasons. Uh, when Max Scherzer is out there, he went and got Max Scherzer. Uh, there's obviously a lot going on with the Mets and free agency. They have Jacob Degrom. They probably want to bring back. They have Brandon Nimmo on in the free agent market. Chris Bassett's a free agent. So Edwin Diaz, there's just a lot of key pieces of that Mets team who are up in the air. And it'll be fascinating to see how Cohen and, and GM Billy Epler decide to prioritize their, their runs at people. You know, we, it was a different front office, but we've seen uh, the Mets kind of, for lack of a better term, screw up the timing before where they uh, kind of focused on other things and let JT Real Muto get away. Didn't go back to him as soon as they should have. So uh, it, it'll be an interesting dynamic. I, I certainly think Steve Cohen's going to make a call and see how much money he could offer to convince Aaron Judge to switch boroughs. Uh, but but there's a lot going on with the Mets that I, I do wonder if that's going to be the, the top priority. Yeah, they call him Uncle Steve, right? Isn't that what they call him? They do with his uh, Twitter presence and everything. He's just like a fan. Just, you know, he has several billion dollars. What would it be like? You're there. What would it be like if the Mets sign Aaron Judge from the moment they sign him all the way up to opening day and he's announced as a Met at City Field? Uh, yeah, I mean, it would it would stoke some city divisions, I, I would say, that, you know, the – the same fans who, you know, this is just the nature of being a fan. When your team goes out and spends a load of money to bring in uh, a star like Garrett Cole for the Yankees, you know, he's 
a true Yankee. He came there because he loves New York and loves the tradition. But as soon as you get, you know, Aaron Judge jumping to a different team for money, it would be, ah, you know, he couldn't handle being a Yankee or he's a traitor or whatever the dynamic would be. Uh, it would it would probably be a little ugly, but very interesting from a, a drama perspective. And it would, you know, amp up the Subway series a lot too, which, uh, you know, doesn't need a lot more juice. Great stuff. Hey, so we can find you baseball prospectus, Yahoo. Where else can we find you? Uh, all my writings at Yahoo Sports these days on the okay. internet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Z Kreiser, and I do write for the Baseball Prospectus Annual, the print book. Uh, I think I'm writing about the Arizona Diamondbacks this year, so you can go catch that in February. But yeah, everything else is at Yahoo Sports. We can tell you Tori Lavello is a great guy. Former A, great guy. D-backs, 500, anything? They got some nice pieces with Carroll and coming up through the system. They played this year. Eh, they were pretty good. They were okay this year. They they played better in the second half. They might push 500. This Will they season. make a run at the Padres or the Dodgers? No. Not at the Padres or the Dodgers, but I think they've got an, a decent shot at, a, at progressing toward a wild card next year. They really do have some nice position player talent. I'll be interested to, I'll be interested to see how much they like load up to complement that or if they wait another year. Hey, great stuff. We appreciate the time. Let's do this again soon. Thank you, guys. Take care. Yeah, it's a really good article, Yahoo Sports. And, yeah, Dave Dombrowski, uh, a terrific article in Sports Weekly USA Today about Dave. I've highlighted it for you. You want me to go over some of it for you since we're talking about my friend Dave Dombrowski? I mean, I mean the article is pretty. The article on Yahoo was good. So yeah, let's just let's go on with it until CJ joins us in about nine minutes. Andy McPhail and and Dave became friends in the seventies. McPhail was with the Cubs, and Dave Dombrowski got his start with the White Sox. And when you when you just look at their relationship and what they tried to do in Philly to get Dave to come back. Because Dave, Dave obviously felt hurt after, and I don't blame him. I mean, you talk about one of the great executives of all time, and the way he was done by the Red Sox, it just seemed really dirty. So for him to get back, and he, like, like we said, he was with Dave Stewart. He moved to Nashville. He's a part of the Nashville Stars. Dave got him to go there. He's going to be a part of them growing into the next expansion team. They will get the expansion team. Luckily, we'll have Dave Stewart doing TV with us on NBC, NBC Sports California. But Dave's going to be the face of that, Dave Stewart, and he wanted Dave Dombrowski to be a big part of it. So the stars had to say, yeah, hey, you can go there, but it's in Dombrowski's deal that if something happened with an Oakland ballpark, if something happened in Tampa – and now all of a sudden the stars are ready to go, he could walk out of that contract with Philly at any point because he still feels the loyalty to the stars because that was his the original job. But the story in uh, the USA Today, it's fantastic. And Dave is truly one of the greats of our time. You think about all these different organizations constantly winning. It's what it's all about. And where a lot of front offices, are they about winning the World Series? Are they about doing it every year or every so many years? You can really question that. You can question where the teams go for it. Dave Dombrowski is about winning, and he's about winning the World Series. 
And it's what makes him special. And I think definitely after this run, no question, when we start, we have started to put executives into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Dave Dombrowski will be there. Do we got CJ? We'll get CJ on next from the Texas Rangers and also from SiriusXM right here on A's Cast Live. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's lastdivebar.com. Oakland Athletics spring training is right around the corner, and you can be part of the excitement. Get your tickets now and plan ahead for a fun-filled trip to Mesa, Arizona this spring. Pack the sunscreen, bring your friends, pick up some ballpark classics, and watch your green and gold get ready for the regular season. Get your tickets today to see the Athletics take on the Giants, Padres, Cubs, Dodgers, and more. Tickets are on sale now at athletics.com slash spring. That's athletics.com slash spring. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All righty, do we have, can CJ, can you hear us now? I sure can. What's going on? Man, it's been a while. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, enjoying the off season, enjoying the postseason, and uh, yeah, life is good, no complaints. You know, I I feel like I still talk to you all the time because I listen to you. I love the <laughs> full time gig on SiriusXM on Loud Outs. Uh, you guys do a great job, and I just think for you, it's so perfect because I remember. When we were on the field one time, you said to us, you know, the one thing is, you know, we get so wrapped up into our own teams and we know our team so well. You do such a good job of knowing the entire league. It allows you to have that voice that's just beyond the Texas Rangers. Well, it's kind of you to say uh, I work with great people, so that certainly helps a lot. And it, it does keep me fresh. And I think I probably mentioned at the time the other part of doing the radio gig with SiriusXM is it does help me keep up with the rest of the league. And then I can kind of bring that into the broadcast, right? So the, the two kind of work hand in hand, you get to talk to a lot of people during the year. And then you are going to see that person sooner or later, especially now with the new schedule and the fact that you play every single team. I mean, I can't wait to see how this thing plays out, but I love the idea of where we're headed with the new schedule. And so it is really helpful for me to be able to do radio uh, all year round, be able to talk about all of the teams and the convenience of it is amazing. I mean, where we are with technology these days and, the idea that I can I can be at home in my office and, and talking baseball year round on Sirius XM is uh, is a really nice convenience. Well, plus you played for a lot of teams. I was listening to you one day when you're talking about playing in New York, and you're like, "Well, I grew up in New York, and I played in New York." And hmm. some guys are a little soft, CJ. It's the bottom line. Well, I, I will say this: I think sometimes it's also overblown. Yeah, like I was at both places briefly. I also you know pitched my college baseball in Queens at St. John, so pretty much in the shadows of old Shea Stadium. And I didn't do particularly well when I was with the Yankees. It had nothing to do with the fact that it was in New York. I just wasn't executing and, you know, and I struggled a little bit. And I think we have a tendency to default to that sometimes. I think about a guy, a former Ranger and now former Yankee and Joey Gallo and some of the struggles that he had, or at least the real frustrations that he had. Not so much with the fans. I think we all get that. Uh, but it's a very competitive media market. And so there's always a story somewhere that someone is looking for. And they'll push a little bit hard, if you remember or not, with him in his first year, that first offseason last year, 
there was an article about you know how he puts his pants on and it just kind of seemed to really bother him and it was kind of a silly article and didn't make a lot of sense but there's always somebody looking kind of for an edge or to push a little bit and that can really get to you but I think guys should know better than to pick up the newspaper when you're playing in a pretty intense market, really any market for that matter, and not let that stuff get to you. It's always nice when somebody says something nice about you, but you got to understand in a market like that, average is never going to be good enough. Below average, you're going to get hammered, and you're probably better off just ignoring it. Yeah, obviously, we all know the Astros real well, and the Phillies are just on this unbelievable run. They've got that it factor. Whatever that it factor is, they've got it. Have you seen the World Series so far? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, the fact that the Phillies have made this thing interesting, it's kind of surprising, though, to be honest with you, that here they are uh, tied 2-2, and they had not gotten good pitching performances from Aaron Nola or Zach Wheeler yet. I mean, that seemed like that was their best chance, that Nola and Wheeler were going to deliver, and that would keep them in games, and that would give them a chance to to be in this series. But here they are tied 2-2, so now we're basically looking at a a best of three, and they have not performed well. Now, Ranger Suarez was amazing. But we know it's about the Astros pitching, right? How deep they run. The fact that they wouldn't even throw Justin Verlander yesterday. We'll see him tonight because they can go to Christian Javier. And all he did was give you six no-hit innings. And the guy uh, probably hasn't gotten the recognition that he deserves. He gets it on the national stage now here in the postseason. And that combined no-hitter that the Astros put together, like you said, we, we know this team really well because of how often we see them in the American League West. They're really good. I mean, they run unbelievably deep on the pitching side. I don't know if you got a chance to see Hunter Brown or not. He made his debut against the Rangers. He's a guy that can slide right into that rotation next year if Justin Verlander ends somewhere else, ends up somewhere else. And they're probably not going to miss a beat. I mean, it's so ridiculous how deep they are in pitching right now in Houston. All guys that are under control, unfortunately, for both of us that we're going to have to see quite a bit over the next few years. But it's been a better series than expected, quite honestly. I thought that the Houston Astros were in a position where they could have absolutely absolutely steamrolled the Phillies, and they haven't done it, and they haven't laid down, and obviously they're dealing with some momentum in their favor. Tonight's a pretty big one uh, that the Philadelphia Phillies are going to have to come out and figure out a way to get this one tonight. Yeah, we've been talking about earlier today, Javier's making 729000 and you're like, oh, my. I mean, they just – they they carpet bombed Latin America with not a ton of money, and they just gave certain. Here's a hundred grand here, seventy grand. Just just took 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 some chances, and some of these guys have just come up smelling like roses, and they're gonna be set for years. And and I've talked about the Phillies to where having some fun with it. They kind of remind me like back in the day when we were all playing, and you got on this summer league team. It was like you got on this team with all these guys that really good high school players, but. You maybe not the best fit at start, but you came together, start drinking beers after games, and next thing you know, you just start steamrolling people. You get this great confidence. That's what the Phillies have been like for me, and knowing that they've hit the same six guys in the lineup every game for all the postseason games, and it's just all come together. They may not be the perfect puzzle. All the pieces may not fit, but, man, there's something special about them. I would agree. And they figured it out late. All right. They are a top five payroll team. I think a lot of people forget that because they did underperform in the regular season. I mean, there's no two ways about it. When you have a top five team, you're thinking you have a legitimate chance to win the division. You're certainly expecting to have at least 90 wins under your belt. Instead, they end up being that final wild card team, right? Think about the rule changes this year and how that has affected the Phillies. If we're under the old system, they're not even in the postseason. If there's no DH in the National League, Bryce Harper's out for a decent amount of time, and they're probably also not in the postseason. But the rule changes and uh, what we saw and and them being the sixth seed now and kind of sneaking in just goes to show you. It's just a matter of getting in and how your team is built. But going back to your point, they did seem like a team that 
uh, obviously came together very slow start. They had to change their manager, Joe Girardi out, Rob Thompson in. Uh, he's done an excellent job. They've come to play for him with consistency. He doesn't say a lot. Didn't get excited about the fact that they got no hit yesterday. A loss is a loss, and they strap it back on today, and they get back after it. So they do have this kind of blue-collar feel to them. You know, even Bryce Harper, the way that he, he carries himself, who he is now compared to maybe who he was when we first got to the big leagues, there was a lot of criticism. Young guy, cocky, maybe a little bit arrogant. And I thought some of the some of the criticism was probably a little bit overblown. But he really does set the tone for this team. And then you bring in the, kind of the other blue-collar guys. They're very rich blue-collar guys, but they are kind of <laughs> blue-collar guys when you think about Nick Castellanos yeah. and thinking about Kyle Schwarber and, um, and they're very quiet too, right? Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, top of the rotation, just kind of go about their business. They don't get too worked up about much of anything. I got a chance to to actually play with Wheeler at the very end of my career when he was on his way up and I was on my my way out. And he hasn't changed at all. Uh, that's going all the way back to 2012. So a decade ago, a guy with a nine-figure contract who's still a guy's guy and just takes it as it comes. That was pretty funny. They're the richest blue-collar guys. <laughs> uh, the Verlander thing, 0-6, 6.07 ERA, eight career World Series starts. I, we were talking about that. I'm like, you know, the past, I mean, I'm not going to talk what he did in 2010. He's a completely different man. His life is different. His body is different. He's 39. Talking about the past, I mean, you can look at now. I mean, just the numbers now of how good his breaking balls currently mainly slider, then curveball, how so nasty during the year. Haven't been as nasty in the postseason. The numbers show that. Have you seen a difference? Yeah, I mean, it's late in the year, I think, for him. Like, he was good in the beginning of that last World Series start, and then they started getting to him, and they probably left him in the game too long. You really shouldn't allow a starter. It's kind of hard to believe that we've seen now four starters give up at least five runs in games in the World Series. We haven't seen that in 20 years. Last time that happened was 2002. And so the fact that and it's not just the Dusty Baker and the Astros, obviously a couple of times for uh, the Philadelphia Phillies as well. So that, that was a little bit surprising and not picking up on the fact that you know, maybe it was time to get him out of there. I know he's your ace. We know he's going to win the Cy Young Award, but obviously uh, maybe a little bit of fatigue setting in. And as you mentioned, the breaking ball is not quite as good as they had been. The fastball is still playing really well. Uh, that is something he has always done, especially at the top of the zone. He knows how to get weak contact. He knows where to go and how to execute a game plan. He just couldn't quite get deep enough into that game. But it felt like he was headed toward that first World Series win when they spotted him that 5 nothing lead, a game that they ultimately lost 6-5 to with the Phillies winning it in extra innings. I mean, that, was, that game was pretty shocking, quite honestly, to see from Justin Verlander. But a couple of bad ones that he's had, they, they find a way to stay in these games and at least have a chance to still win them. There's probably something to it in the way that he's thinking about it and wanting to get that first one. As good as he has been throughout his career, as good as he has been uh, throughout the postseason. I mean, if you look at his career numbers in the postseason, they're really good. It's just the World Series. So that hangs over you a little bit. Remember, David Price for the longest time really struggled in the postseason. And once they won it all in 2018, he won a couple of World Series starts. He brought it up. He's like, you guys can't say that about me anymore. So he obviously was thinking about it. And even though we look at Justin Verlander as a guy that's pretty solid mentally and obviously a great pitcher over his career, it's probably in the back of his mind or maybe even the front of his mind, quite honestly, a little bit about how he has performed in the World Series. He gets another shot tonight. Now, I don't know what the reaction – let's get to the Texas Rangers. I don't know what the reaction in Arlington, Dallas, about Bruce Bochy. I can tell you the reaction out here in Northern California. Giants fans were just like, what? Wait. Bochy really still wants to manage, and he's going to be the manager of the Texas Rangers. There was absolute shock here in Northern California. What was the reaction 
to Texas in Texas about Bruce Bochy being the new manager of the Rangers? Well, I will tell you this. As soon as they let Chris Woodward go, Tony Beasley slid in as the interim. There was immediate speculation about Bruce Bochy, the relationship between him and Chris Young. Chris Young had pitched for him in San Diego. And so we knew that that probably could be out there. It was a matter of whether or not Bruce Bochy actually wanted to manage. Of course, he was still helping out with the Giants, but he was home in Nashville. And I'm sure you've seen some of the quotes in the interviews, and he's been pretty consistent. He said once he had a conversation with Chris Young, once he realized where this organization was going and talking to ownership and Ray Davis and realizing that there was going to be resources and they were going to be making a pretty hard push to put together a competitive roster, it made all the sense in the world. He did miss it. And it's not surprising that he missed it. It's not surprising that there's that competitiveness and that fire still in Bruce Bochy. You can tell you that people are really, really excited in Arlington right now. This was a guy that obviously has had a ton of success over his 25 years managing the three World Series that he had. Uh, that he won with the San Francisco Giants, the one that he appeared in with the San Diego Padres. And this is the first time I couldn't believe when I saw this. It's the first time the Rangers have hired a manager with experience since they hired Buck Showalter back in 2003. So it's been 20 years. And every other manager they've had since then, and Chris Woodward, Ron Washington, who was great, Jeff Bannister, it was all their first time ever managing in the big leagues. And so we go back to experience. Uh, again, with the roster, they poured a ton of money into it last year. They still have a lot of room payroll to do that again. The anticipation is that it'll be at least two and maybe three starting pitchers that they tried to add and a couple of other smaller pieces. And uh, they expect to be writing this thing really quickly. You don't bring Bruce Bochy in on a three-year deal and bringing him out of retirement if you don't think you can contend right away. Yeah, there's no question. Your guy's going to love him. He's just he, he's good people, and he's fun to be around uh, on a daily basis. And when we think about the turnaround, because obviously the Astros aren't going anywhere. Seattle's not going anywhere. They're now going to be a player. A's, we're not. We'll see how long it's going to take. Where do the Texas Rangers go this offseason? How do they get better after the big investment in Marcus and in Seager? Yeah, and I would say the Angels too, right? We know Shohei Otani is back, and we hear that they're not going to trade him. And obviously they have some great players on that roster. So who knows? They could be a team that could be a problem as well for everybody else in the American League West. But a lot of good things happen offensively, as you mentioned, Seager and Simeon up the middle. You know, first year, they got to get to know each other a little bit, all those little intricacies that happen in the middle infield. We did get a look at Josh Young uh, toward the end of the season, top prospect to play third base for the Rangers. They have guys established like Adolis Garcia in right field. Nathaniel Lowe had a huge year. They did lose Mitch Garver for half the season. That was a problem. That was a big bat that they ended up missing. Jonah Heim did a nice job for Murray sliding in, but he played more probably than anybody anticipated. He was great defensively. It looked like he got a little tired toward the end. And a lot of good things happen in the bullpen. Now they have to figure out uh, who they're going to bring back. Matt Moore was excellent for the Rangers. They'd love to have him back. They'd love to have Martin Perez back as well. He had a career year. And so they are, it feels like, just a couple of pitchers away, uh, quite honestly, and perhaps maybe they can even figure out a way to add um, something, one other complimentary bat, whether it's a left fielder or a DH or someone to share some time, or, or if they don't decide that Josh Young is ready uh, to be their third baseman. We don't know quite yet. There were some good things there. There was also a lot of swing and miss and, and not a lot of walks. So they're close. They're really close. But the pitching is really important. John Gray did a nice job when he was out there and healthy, but they have to get deeper in that rotation and create a little competition for all those young pitchers. There's a lot of good ones. Glenado, Kamara Rocker, Jack Leiter in the system. Dane Dunning's done a nice job as well. And so they want to create a little bit more competition for those guys where they're fighting for one, maybe two spots max in the rotation. Uh, and that would be only because they went out and signed some other guys. Now, if I was to call into loud outs and I said, I want the expert opinion on Shohei Otani because 
I know the millions that they bring in because of him. International money coming in, sponsorships from Japan. So if I'm to put him out there on the block, I'm just not losing this talent. And no matter what talent I'm getting back, I'm now losing millions upon millions of dollars that I'm getting in advertising money, merchandise. I mean, there's so many things that go around him. How do you replace that? Like, like how do as a business, if you're the Angels, I'm I'm not really expecting you to have the answer, but if you're going to trade this guy, this is more than just a baseball decision. It is, and it makes it more difficult, especially now there's only one year of control left, right? That's the other part of this. Yeah, you know you have him locked up. They took care of that arbitration situation very early. We've never really seen that before, right? To get that $30 million deal done, we've also never seen a player like Shohei Otani. And whether or not they can get him signed long-term, uh, we will see. If you, if you kind of get that sense that he wants to go somewhere else, then you probably have to make the move. What also complicates things is that they're in the middle of trying to sell the team. And he's a huge asset financially. He is a true revenue generator. There are very few uh, players like him uh, that bring in that kind of money just from one player. I probably know other players, quite honestly, uh, that do it to the level that he does. So that really complicates things. I thought they should have traded him last trade deadline. That means any team that was acquiring him would have had him for two postseason runs. His value probably would never have been higher. They had no interest. Artie Miranda just was not going to do it. Directed baseball operations people not to trade him. And so while his value is still high, it's just extremely complicated for what you would get in return, what you think you should get in return for what you're giving up. And how do you calculate the other money that's coming in? And if you're trading for a bunch of young players, that money's out the door. You never heard somewhere around, you know, say, call it 20 or $25 million that he is bringing in extra a year. That 25 is gone. There is nobody that you're trading for that's going to help you make up for that. And if anything, you're going to tick off your fans a little bit because he's gone. And so then you're going to you're going to see a deficit from that standpoint as well. So I don't know how they could possibly pull it off, which team would go all the way in and give up the kind of talent that would be required to get Shohei Otani. Uh, it just doesn't seem like it's going to be able to happen. I'll be shocked. And they're not going to give him away. It's just it doesn't make any sense. If you ride it out and he goes to free agency, so be it. You still at least have another year of all that revenue coming. All right, let's end on this. I love the bit that you guys do on Loud Outs where the producer gives you a topic, and then no matter how you feel, you have to argue one side, right? I was listening to the one where you guys were talking about Otani or Judge as the MVP, and Spielborgs does not want to give it to Judge, but he had to argue for Judge. I fight – I love. I don't know how we do it. I want to steal that bit from you guys, by the way, because I think it's great because it makes you have to defend something that maybe you don't believe in. I like it. Yeah, it's almost like a, a not that I went to law school, but a good law school kind of exercise yeah. where you have to figure out how do you defend a murderer, essentially, right? Now, in this case, we're just talking baseball. Uh, we don't have to worry about anybody being guilty and doing something terrible. But, but how do you argue something that uh, you don't necessarily believe in? You got to be extra careful as a married guy. Because if you're really, really good at that, your wife might get a little suspicious. Like, wow, you're very good at lying and kind of making a case for something that you're you really dirty, it. aren't you? Yeah, there's a, there's a downside to that, so you do have to be careful with it. But it is fun. Um, it is a good one. You know, the idea of, obviously that's a topic that'll come up here, and once that's announced, and I think we're all pretty sure that uh, we're going to see Aaron Judge win that thing. But it's so interesting, right? Because that conversation, just in general, it's how much do you put emphasis on the actual V, the valuable part. I feel like that's just kind of what they named the award because it sounded like the right thing. It sounds a little bit better, of course, and there will be certain writers and voters that will look at the actual value of what he brings to a team. But then if you sit there and go that down that path, I mean, how could you not 
argue in the case of Jose Ramirez. I mean, the value that he brought to the Guardians this year, how he elevated the rest of that roster, how they almost found themselves in the American League Championship Series because of him. So much talk about the way that he plays the game and carries the team and everybody else just kind of falling in line. And, you know, you can go a lot of different ways. But I still think Shohei probably should be the guy uh, based on what he did this year. And luckily, they do vote at the end of the regular season because we saw Judge really struggle in the postseason. He was pitched really, really well um, by the teams that he faced. Both the Astros and the Guardians pitched him extremely well. And you got to get tip your cap a little bit. But he struggled. And I think if the voting happened after the postseason, Shohei Otani might have won it. Well, we love listening to you on SiriusXM. We always appreciate you come on the program, especially when you guys are out in Oakland. We get to have you on the field. Hope all is well for you, and let's talk soon. Yeah, it'll be here before you know it. My pleasure. Great stuff. CJ Nikowski from the Texas Rangers, former pitcher, now turned broadcaster, not now turned talk show host. Uh, they do a good job. It's two players. Ryan Spielborgs, who actually works for the Rockies, and C.J. Kowski, who works for the Texas Rangers. So it's two players hosting a show and uh, comes off really well. They got good chemistry. And, like, today he wasn't on, but there's other guys that, that will fill in. But um, it's good stuff. And C.J. is one of the – I think one of the better slash – you call him color guy, opinion guy, who can also be a talk show. He's one of the better guys in our business. Yeah, and I always like having him on. He's very insightful. I mean, he played the game. He played the game overseas as well. Remember, we had him talk. We, we brought him on KBO and talk about the KBO when we were all watching the KBO, and that was going on during the COVID year. But that 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 exercise that you guys were talking about with the defending one side you want to agree with, that's one thing we could do after the season's over is we the, we argue why Verlander could stay, should stay with the Astros and why he shouldn't. We need a third person, though. Oh, the, the bring up Klein the Schmidt. Where's Klein Schmidt? Damn it, we get her in here. She'll be the she'll be the mediator. Yeah, she can she can bring it. Like I said, get her on video. Why why Verlander should stay? Why Verlander should opt out? That could be one. Where with Judge? Weary. So uh, not opt out because you can opt out and resign. Why Verlander leaves the Astros? And why he stays? Why he stays? That's a good one. I would not want to have why leave. You can argue that he can opt out and make more money. I mean, really, he needs more money. I mean, who, <laughs> I mean, I know I, I get what you're saying, but I'm just saying, like, that could be one. How much more money you need, bro? What, what, what if the Mets want to bring him in and reunite him with his former Detroit Tiger teammate Max Scherzer? Okay, I, I, I okay. Scherzer, I, mean, I, I don't know. Scherzer really... reaches out, says, "Hey, let's get let's get the band back together. We'll get Miggy back, and all I know is we'll drag Prince Fielder out of retirement." All I know is I win a ton of games playing for these guys. Ton of games, and when it comes to money, there's no state taxes. I win a ton of money playing for these guys, and right now, that's all he cares about is wins. Or, I don't think money is what he cares about. But I mean, that would be your argument. You gotta you gotta figure out an argument. I mean. The only, probably the only place better for Verlander would be L.A. The win games, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's trying to get because he, we know he wants. He wants three hundred wins. That 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 what? is the mission. The mission is I want to be the last guy to win three hundred games. Well, so what's the best way to get there? He's at two forty four. So what do you need? What sixty six more wins? Right, my, my, he's my saying he's willing to pitch till he's forty-five. He's thirty-nine. Sorry, fifty-six more wins. My math is off there, right? Yeah, yes, 
So a couple big years, and you know, you kind of you're kind of there. Won, hell, he won 18 games this year at age at age 39. If he can just win 15 for the next few years, he'll be there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You go to the Dodgers. If he went to the Dodgers, and the Dodgers are going to keep rolling off 100 plus every year. Verlander could could win 20 games again. Let's just look at him. I, we always go to Nolan Ryan because he still threw hard when he was older. Uh, Nolan Ryan, when he turned 41, eight games, but he had a 2.76 ERA. He, they, he, just, they, he was on bad yeah. teams. Uh, then he won 12, 16, 13, 12. Verlander could do that. And there's your 300. He's the last guy to do it because, well, no one's going to sniff it. You're going to get – you're going to get – like you don't want to go to New York Yankees to deal with that crap. No. You, the only, okay. you don't want to do that. You can go to the Mets and be reunited with Scherzer. But are you guaranteed – I think you're pretty guaranteed to win games in Houston. Yeah. They're lined up to win. He's only going to pick so, – so if I'm Verlander – in the amount of time that I'm still going to play, right? You can think about. I know I I'm willing to I'm willing to go out on a limb here that while Verlander is still healthy and good enough to pitch at this level, the Astros will be a good team. Yeah, I'm willing to say the Dodgers during that time frame will still be a team that will be able to win games. New York, I don't know. Here's another one for you. What if the Astros win the World Series this year? Philly's like, you know what? Verlander's going to opt out. What is? What if Dave Dombrowski calls? Dombrowski was there in Detroit. Green Adam in Philly. What's my mission? Win games. Philly will be good next year. Mm, I don't know. Philly, bar- I mean, Philly barely got I me. Mean, Philly lost 10 of their last 13 and backed in. I don't know. This is just a great run. Do I know Philly's going to be good? Like, I know. Texas, what about Bochy? I don't know if Texas is going to be good. Do I want to be Verlander having a good year and having a – it's about his record at this point. He's got to win games. Yeah. and So you got to go where they're going to win 100-plus games. And Houston, Houston can look a lot different next year. Dusty could be gone, win or lose. James Click could be gone, win or lose. So you can have a new players are pretty much there. Yeah, but you can lose a GM who goes, okay, well, if he opts out, well, we don't don't need you. I mean, it's kind of silly, but, I mean, CJ said it. They can split Hunter Brown in his spot and probably not miss a beat. I I mean, Hunter Brown's going to – he could be good, but to say he's going to be Verlander-esque is maybe a little premature, but he he did look good when he has pitched this year. Like, Verlander's not going to a 500 team for money. So you wait. So you're telling me I shouldn't let when we see Tory in Arizona or in San Diego? Hey, Tory, don't expect Verlander yeah. to be there. The the D backs could offer Verlander a lot of money. He's not going. He's got to go where they're gonna win. Let's just say ninety five. Saying a is a little strong, but ninety five plus. You're pretty much guaranteed to win ninety five plus. Yeah, Arizona. Not that. No. Uh, hey, maybe what if what if Boach calls Tory or calls the GM and says no 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 and says. What's it going to take for me to get Mad Bum here in uh, Texas? I thought about that after Boach got hired. Because I said him and I think Belt, they'll both be, they could both be Giants or uh, Rangers at some point. The Arizona Diamondbacks would pay for the moving cost. They would, they would, they would send you gifts for the next hundred years if you would take Mad, Mad Bum. How much is Mad Bum? What, what's left? One uh, year? No, 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 no. Uh, it was th- only a four year deal. But I think this is where. Or was it five years? I think deal? it was five. And this is where Bumgarner starts making the money. 
So Bumgarner. There's only two max two. He's already been there three years. He's 33 right now. So going into next year, 2023, he will make. He's two years yeah, left. 23 million next year and, and 14. And 14. Yeah, so yeah, you're wrong. It's two years left. One year's 14. I, you would pay. You know what, Arizona? We'll pay. Arizona would pay the 14. We'll pay his entire salary just for you to take him. By the way, uh, this is funny. They have his team roping rodeo competition winnings on here. And what's his name in that? Is it a Mason Saunders or whatever? <laughs> I mean, literally, if I'm the Arizona Diamondbacks and the and the Rangers called, okay, you take part of the money next year, the $23 million, we will pay the Arizona Diamondbacks. We will pay you the entire 14 just to get rid of him. Yeah, Can you imagine what it's like to be uh, – I mean, depending on who you believe – a mass, a bad Madison Bumgarner, a angry Madison Bumgarner, a getting lit up five ERA Madison Bumgarner can't be a fun guy to be around. Seven and fifteen this year, a four eight eight ERA and thirty starts. You think he's fun to be around? No, negative zero point eight WAR. But people tell, giant fan tells me he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Now he does have a great World Series ERA. I will give him that. Will they retire? Will will he'll be on the Wall of Fame before he even retires? Okay, I'm not talking about the Wall. I don't want. I, I don't expect Madison Bumgarner to be next to Joe Panic on your wall, next to Marvin Bernard. Who else is on this wall? Oh, we went over this. Hunter Pence. There's so many guys. By the way, uh, in five career, four career World Series starts, he's four zero with a zero point two five ERA. You retire his number, San Francisco. One three. I mean, he's won three more World Series than Will Clark did. I mean, the only two guys that played in all three are Posey and Bumgarner. Correct. Yeah, Belt. Oh, I know I'm correct. Yeah, Belt and Crawford weren't there because Bumgarner pitched, and that first one was against Texas, and he pitched in that World Series. Started the only guy to play in all three. Posey and Bumgarner. You gonna retire? You retire, old Mad Bums Uni. Uh, Forever oh, San Francisco. Uh, po- do you retire Posey's number? Oh, of course. Plus, he's a part owner now, so it'll probably no, yeah. he'll probably just say it's Buster Posey night every year. You, you're <laughs> going to retire Buster Posey's number. Buster Posey, Buster Posey is the new version of what a Hall of Famer will be. You're not going to have to have the the elite numbers. Buster Posey will get involved. Told you, I'm fine with you putting him in, but Joe Maurer goes in, too. If we're talking about numbers. What'd he do? Talking about numbers, he was a better. What? I'm not saying. I'm, I'm saying he is the – Buster Posey is the new version where the numbers don't necessarily are going to have to – we've gotten softer, we've gotten nicer as Hall of Fame voters. Now, I'm not a voter. I disagree with this. I think the standards should, should, should still be really high. And I mean, if you're and because if you're starting to, well, he won three World Series. It's going to be like I got a bunch of Yankees who got really good stats, who got five rings on the phone. Uh, Jorge Posada, Bernie Williams. I mean, Bernie Williams not a Hall of Fame. Buster Posey's a Hall of Famer. Bernie Williams is a Hall of Famer. You can make the case that Jorge Posada. Paul O'Neill. Yeah. Paul O'Neill's got a ring with the Cincinnati Reds Thurman, too. Thurman Munson should be a Hall. Should be in the Hall of Fame. So here you go. So Buster Posey, let's give you his war real quick. So we're running out of time. Buster Posey in his career had a 44.8 war, 
What's Mowers? 55.2. Everyone's going to go, well, he didn't, play, he didn't play catcher his whole career. Either did Buster Posey. He played first base, too. Joe Mauer played at the hefty bag. Uh, Mauer hit 143 career home runs. He wasn't a big home run hitter. Posey hit 158. They both won an MVP. Mauer's OPS is 827. Posey's is 831. Mauer drove in more runs. Mauer scored more, more, scored more runs by 400 almost. But so basically, you're saying they had identical careers offensively. Yeah, except for he was a three-time Gold Glove winner. I think Posey was a three-time Gold Glove winner too. No, one Gold Glove for Buster Posey. Uh, three batting titles for Joe Mauer. Wow. But Buster Posey, I don't think he ever won a. I never thought I'd end my World Series Game Five show with a Buster Posey Joe Mauer <laughs> debate. So who wins tonight? Who won the World Series? A Buster Posey three times. Ooh, three times. How many did Maurer win? None. Ah, yeah. Put that in your Joe Maurer Hall of Fame plaque. Zero World Series. Buster. By the way, winner of Game 5, they've gone on. Uh, the, the winner of Game 5 has gone on to win the, the, the series 70% of the time. 70.3 to P exact. Okay, so I run down. 70. They did that last night on, was it yesterday? MLB, they had 82.3, and I called him over. I'm like, just round it down. Does, does the point three really matter? Like, it's point, 70.3. No, 70. I'm good with 70. I don't need to know it's 70.3. On the way out, I'm going to ask you, will Justin Verlander get a World Series win before he retires? Wait, what? Will Justin Verlander get a World Series win before he retires? Well, I'm rooting against him tonight, so I'm saying no. Okay. No. Stand on my ground. Ring the bell. <laughs> Philly, take these sons out. Is it weak Wheeler's not going tonight? Extra rest tomorrow for game six. That's what everyone keeps telling Who me. Who goes game rest. seven? Ranger? Ranger Suarez versus McCullers. Is, is, is it sad that, like, it's like, well, you know, yeah, Ranger Suarez. I like that in game seven. Where's Wheeler? Where's Nola? Where's Where's your horses? Where's your Caner? As you, now that yeah. you're into Giants <laughs> baseball, where's your Matt Kane? Your horse? The horse has to be the horse. Where is he? Wheeler's at because this is regular roll. This is regular uh, rest for Wheeler, right? He's gonna be extra rest. I'm pretty sure now. No, no, but today. Uh, it he would be Saturday. Yeah. So this. Yeah. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday. That's regular rest for him today. He's, gonna, he's not going. He's going to have six days of rest. Now. I want him going tonight and be ready for game seven for a couple innings. Good luck with that. You guys are so sick. By the way, let's play this real quick. Did you hear Kyle Schwarber when he was asked about the uh, team no hitter last night? Did you bleep it? Uh, it's already bleeped. So okay. here's, what, here's Kyle Schwarber being asked about the. Uh, the Kono last night in Philadelphia. Just to be part of this end of baseball history, just how does it feel when you realize that this is just the second World Series no-no? Yeah, I really don't give a <laughs> No, move on tomorrow. It's cool. We'll be in the history books, I guess. There you go. There's, a, as CJ said, blue-collar guys who make a lot of money. Rich blue-collar <laughs> yeah. team is what they are. Um, <laughs> it's what Smoltz said the night before, right? About the seven nothing shutout, Philly over Houston. Yes, yeah, forget about it. Come back tomorrow. You rather lose like that and just go, eh, well, you got us. We'll see you tomorrow. Versus extra you innings. Played twelve innings. You used everybody in the pin. You gave everything you got and you lost. What? What? So Houston goes out, gets shut out, dominated seven nothing. 
They come back the next day. They dominate and win and throw a Kono. So it's kind of like, yeah, if you're going to lose, you might as well lose like that, and we'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, I agree. So I believe in this uh, Kyle Schwarber, rich, blue-collar ball club mentality. Well, we'll see. So it goes, because game six will be Saturday night at 5.03. There will be a game six, which means we don't have a show tomorrow. No, yeah, so we'll be back Monday. We're hoping to have Keith Lippman. So that's it. We won't see you today. I mean, tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday. We'll be back on Monday with a World Series champion. Yeah, because Game 7 would be Sunday if it goes 7. Unless, unless there's some reason unless, a rain. Unless. There's a rain out. Unless or, Rob Manfred calls me and says, all right, Townie, what should we do? Rob, throw it to Monday. You do not want to go against the NFL on Sunday. You will get no attention. No one will talk about it. You have a better chance against one game on Monday night football than you have all day of football and Sunday night football. You have a better chance. Monday, Rob, told, push it back. Told you Monday night football is Saints-Ravens. Saints-Ravens. That's what I mean. This way you have a better chance to. I mean, who cares about the Saints? I think Sunday night football is Chiefs-Titans Chiefs at Arrowhead. I, Derrick Henry versus Patrick Mahomes. Push it back. Push it back to game seven to Monday. That's what I would do. That gives that an extra day rest for Christian Javier to pitch game seven. Gives everybody a little extra day. Sit around Sunday. Everybody watch football. We'll be back on Monday. Well, that's not going to be the case. We will be back on Monday with a World Series champion. So that means you're going to have to sap somebody from Philly or Houston. Uh, Yeah. Like, you mean guess-wise? or Yeah. Yeah, well, the parade. Maybe both, because we're going to have to talk about. Yeah. Well, we get Blummer. You losers. When's the par- parade? Will parade? We'll assume parade will be Tuesday or Wednesday. Not if they win on Saturday. Probably Tuesday still. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Do you want to have a parade? Uh, no, like three day, I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out on Saturday evening. Phillies are going to win this thing. My heart tells me. Okay. Verlander goes down tonight. I'm not feeling comfortable. You're bo- you're boy, I'm not confident in Verlander tonight. Your boy, your boy. <laughs> go ahead. Over and under, how many times they show Kate Upton? Uh, I only saw her once. I was like, I'll say three. All right. I'll take the I'll take the push. You know what? I'll go under three. You're going down tonight, pretty boy, with your rich model wife. You're going down. But she's got more money. He doesn't need money. She's got more money than he does. It's just like, well, it's just like Giselle and Brady. Well, no. Uh-huh. Well, they're nothing anymore, but. I mean, they could still get back yeah, together. Tom's had a great career. I think this is probably it for him. I don't know. We've been saying that for five years now, and he just keeps coming back. Oh, wow. You're, you're, now you're kicking sand on the great Tom Brady. Yeah, well, three and five. Him and Eric. Him and no Eric. Joe Montana, as they yeah, say. Yeah, that's true. I don't say that, but well, I mean, all 49er your, fans All, all your that. friends do. Yeah. Uh, we got to thank the pitching ninja, Rob Friedman. I just lost my thing. Here. Emo, Scott Emerson. Scott Emerson, the great pitching coach of your Oakland Athletics. C.J. Nikowski and Zach Kreiser. We got to have Zach on again. He was yeah, good. He was. And, and From uh, Yahoo Sports, e- baseball, pro- baseball Prospectus. Emo already emailed me and said, can you send me the link from the interview? Emo, the show's not even over yet. Oh, wow. <laughs> Shots fired. It's all about me. That's Emo. Emo wants, on, emo wants to put up on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big LinkedIn guy. <laughs> Enjoy game five of the World Series because the winner wins what? 
70.3% of the time or 70 if you just want to round down. 70.3% of the time. We'll have a World Series winner on Monday. We'll see everybody back here, Ace Cast Live on Monday. The Coliseum has gone by many names, but none better than The Last Dive Bar. Hi, everyone. Ken Korak here, and my friends at Last Dive Bar are helping us celebrate our longtime home. Last Dive Bar has the most unique merchandise for all Oakland baseball fans. T-shirts, sweatshirts, the Ray Fossey line, and my personal favorite, the lights have taken full effect. Visit their website at lastdivebar.com or follow them on social media at Last Dive Bar. All proceeds are invested back into the A's Community Fund and their affiliated charities. Go to lastdivebar.com. That's Last Dive Bar. The Oakland Athletics begin spring training on February 25th. Now's the time to make plans to catch us in Mesa, Arizona, and enjoy the sunshine of your family and friends. Buy your tickets early for the best seats at the lowest prices as your green and gold take on the Giants, Dodgers, Padres, Angels, and more at Ho-Ho-Cam Stadium. And Tony, it's a deep drive to right in the corner. Gritchick going back. He'll turn and watch it fly. Get your tickets at athletics.com slash spring. That's athletics.com slash spring. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.